mountains in the end of summer is one of the few cities that you can go outside, take a deep breath, and drown because it's so fucking humid. Right, that's the thing. You, like, can't breathe. Oh, that's awful. Like, it'll, it'll be, like, a, like approaching 100, 100% humidity and not raining. It's just oh. that And it's like you go outside and you sweat, but it doesn't, like, it doesn't help because it can't evaporate anywhere because the <laughs> water, like the air is so saturated. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's not good. It's terrible. No, no, no. Hello friends and welcome to season two. Yeah, that's right, you heard me point at the microphone. Season two of Soul Poetry. Um I cannot believe that I've been doing this for a year. Um, I, I can't, I was going, th- as I was transferring um, the episodes from the We Leave Home SoundCloud to the actual official So Poetry SoundCloud, I was, um, you know, just like listening to some of them and just revisiting some of the things. And there were people, I forgot that I talked to the people that I talked to, like Shreya um, and Tracy. And Danielle was like, I don't remember any of these conversations. Uh, a lot of, I went 18? Uh, oh, jeez. I don't, I don't even, I'd have to go back. <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah. I didn't listen to all of them, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, and sorry, I, things are still kind of sporadic in the, um, the uploading. I'm still trying to figure out what's the best um, way to release um, both episodes that are featuring other people and then the own my own kind of like talkies just me extemporaneously speaking about stuff um the first one of those will probably be in like two weeks so i'm, I'm gonna try to do i'm gonna try to stick to two a month um we'll see how long that lasts but anyway this is season two um i'm sitting here with you go by mary adele mary mary okay. adele mary is fine though. okay um <laughs> A phenomenal poet, um, recent grad of the UB MFA program. Mm-hmm. Um, her book is phenomenal. I will throw a link up in the description um, so you can buy it. We will probably talk a little bit about it today, and I'll gush some. Um, uh, yeah, so this is this is the beginning of season two. Uh, like I said, um, I guess I'll run until around August or so of next year, and then we'll start with season three. But anyway, without further ado, Mary, um, you want to talk a little bit about yourself as an introduction? Yeah, Um, sure. Go for it. Okay. Um, My name's Mary. (laughs) I grew up in Frederick, Maryland, Um, got my bachelor's in English at St. Mary's College of Southern Maryland. Okay. Talk about humidity. (laughs) (laughs) Um... And then after that, I traveled for a little while, I bartended for a little while, and all my friends were in Baltimore, so I was like, guess I'm coming to Baltimore. (laughs) (laughs) I would, the whole time I knew I didn't want to be in D.C., so I'm glad I ended up here, because it's such a funky town. Yeah, I feel like there's a certain spectrum of humanity that actually willingly wants to be in D.C. Yes. (laughs) And you know them, too. Yeah. I mean, lovely people, just... Yeah. A different culture. Yes. Um, Young professionals. If you've yes. not If you've not encountered them, you will. You might even be one without realizing it. But And have a snarky answer to the question, what do you do? Yes. I 
sit at home and pet my cat. <laughs> <laughs> my number one occupation. Um, yeah, so I ended up in Baltimore. I've been working in higher ed. I'm in a great position right now where I advise uh, students on what classes they should take within their engineering majors. Ooh. So I never know how to talk to them about engineering, but I'm always... What, what college do you do that for? C- college Park. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's a recently acquired position. Nice. So still figuring it out, but I really like it because part of, I think, like, I have a half to me that, like, loves producing writing, but then there's another half to me that really likes interacting with people. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, like... Uh, fulfills both those sides of me. Okay. Um, and I did. I did indeed uh, follow in Michael's footsteps and got the MFA of <laughs> creative writing and publishing design. I don't, I don't think. I. I feel like you mean that metaphorically, not okay. <laughs> yeah, because like, I didn't really know you. I'm not. I'm not that type of trailblazer <laughs> at all. No, but you. I remember uh, picking up your book. And mm-hmm. being like, this is really cool. That like, I guess they hadn't really been over. It was within my first year. They hadn't really talked about doing a whole handmade book. Mm. And being like, wow, this is possible. How yeah. many copies did you make? Uh, sixty. Uh, it was a weird number. I think it was like sixty-eight somewhere in like somewhere in the mid to high sixties. Okay. Um, that sounds right for a handmade. Yeah, which was the record until Tracy did like a hundred something. Sure. <laughs> she is awesome. Yeah. Well, it was weird. Like, as I, I think before me, Meredith was the only one that had done like a full, like fully handmade. That was the entire copies that she had done. But hers were um, hardbound and just like much more professional. I think that she did like 30. Okay. Um, so I feel like mine are kind of somewhere, or were somewhere in between, like Meredith's level of like fine binding, mm-hmm. and Tracy's level of kind of like mass production binding. of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you do on your spines? How'd you stitch them together? Um, just kind of like a linked stitch. Okay. Um, nothing fancy. It, it was I think four signatures. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever, like just the linked stitch to yeah. get them all together, and then I glued that up. Um, and then I think, I think glued that into, no, how did I do it? I think I glued that into the in pages and then the in pages, like the inch or so of glue mm-hmm. onto the cover. I okay. Think. Oh, I'm trying to remember how learning about all that stuff. It was such a great, like that was one of the classes that I was very, I felt curmudgeon about. Really? Yes. Wow. I do not like arts and crafts. That really surprises me. I never would have... Well, I walked into it thinking I wasn't gonna, uh, okay. going to like it. And Meredith, if you're listening, I know it's, it's <laughs> much more than arts and crafts. It's um, It was such an experience. And I wasn't... I've never been like a straight line, like um, have to have everything mm-hmm. very neat. Like I've just never... I've always been very haphazard. Um, but this is... I remember the first project where you had to produce 10 books oh, that yeah. looked very similar or like that's what you get in upgrades, you know, your grade would get knocked down if they didn't look very, very similar. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how it came up, but Meredith was like, you can do collage. And I was like, I, I like doing collage. <laughs> like I remember being a teenager and finding all my mm-hmm. favorite magazines and doing collages just for fun. Like that's yeah. the one craft, I guess. And so after that, like 
I did collage for that project, my final project, and then I ended up mm-hmm. incorporating it into my final book. So yeah. like that, and Mandy and I produced a zine that was all collage. So it had a huge impact on. Yeah. I just was totally surprised that that I came out with that. Right. Yeah. I thought it would all be writing. And I it was like until until the, that class I didn't realize that bookmaking was an actual like one something that you can do and two something that I was at least moderately good at and apparently incredibly passionate about um, and I feel like with the collage it's like you go I mean I went into it not really expecting anything but I feel like um, it's one of those kind of gateway classes that you see kind of like creativity that's there's so many other ways that this can be it's like you have the kind of basics in that you know this is how you stitch this is how you bind them mm. um, you know, this is how you fold and cut everything and make everything follow these rules but there are all there's also all this space for like you can collage this stuff you can yeah. make an art book you can do yeah you can do a pop-up book you can do um, I have a collection of um, I think it's Tonka um, that I got at a Haiku North America conference that is, um, it's this weird folding for the cover and the Tonka in it are all loose. It's like postcard size stuff. Okay, yeah. Um, so it's just a collection of these, like there's some art in the poem and it's in this like weird folded up thing mm. and that's it. Um, there's a, I wanna say it was like an art um, literary journal that kind of did the same thing that the, the cover was folded into itself mm-hmm. and then when it opened up it was just these loose almost like um broadside looking things of yeah. like art and poetry it's so cool um it's like in carson didn't yeah she the do... Knox. yes yep. which i don't have i've been it's on my list because that one it's, it's expensive but it's well worth the money yeah and it's i think that the um it's like a so ann carson's Knox is a um like a crazy big book art book project thing that she did i think in response to her brother's death Mm um and it's uh, this long like accordion folded single page thing that has um like the original the original version of it has um like scrapbook elements where things are posted there's like photographs and cutouts and newspaper clippings and stuff um and that was a kind of one-off typically with artist books there's it's kind of like one thing as almost like a sculptural piece Mm -hmm. Um, but I think because of the response that she got from it, it was mass produced. Um, so there's the version that you see that you will get in the store, mm-hmm. find on Amazon, is a reproduction of the original. It has all of like the the images and stuff on it, but not the action. You don't get the tactileness of, of like the fact that they're pasted on these things. Yeah. I I think is if I remember correctly, what was in like in Knox. I think that that's it, but I'm not. 100% on that. I think you're right. I remember we, I think Mandy May actually brought it in for, um, during creativity class. Mm. That's just like, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember what class we, I read that for, but it's currently up you know, on my shelf in the Ann Carson section. I was actually reading, um, Plain Water at Whole Foods today mm. during breakfast. Mm. So good. She's brilliant. Yeah. I saw her read at one of the AWPs, and that was uh, like, it was one of those moments. You were like, starstruck. I was like, oh my god! And like, I'm in the same room as Anne Carson, and she's reading stuff that she has like not not been published, things that she's worked on. Uh, I'm like, this is. It's like seeing like. Yeah. I mean, she is a celebrity in the poetry world. Yeah. 
I saw uh, Jane Hirschfield the following year. And oh it was my like, God. I need to go to one of these AWPs, don't I? The next I? one's in D.C. Oh, perfect. Oh, my God. Check. Mm-hmm. They're in the spring, right? Or February, March. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's coming up soon. Um, oh, crap. I need to see if I can get a table for that. I'm gonna, I might want to sell my wares. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, so anyway. Um, Bookmaking is a is a thing. I actually might do either get Meredith on. I didn't think about this to get Meredith on for like a single topic on bookmaking, um, or have one of my solo talks on it. But nice. um, stay tuned because I'm is I'm sure that it's come up in po- previous podcasts, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that it'll come up later. Um, making stuff by hand is fun. It's so magical too to see a book being made. Like yeah. that was another thing that I was like, I guess I just didn't think that that's what I was going to see and experience mm-hmm. and so then to be like these things that I've loved all my life mm-hmm. see them in production and how you can do it it's magical and, and Meredith it, is so passionate about it so yeah. she'd be great to have one <laughs> and it's I feel like so I make I'm sure that I mentioned this before although I don't know if you know um, I make cabinets for a living I read this um, and up until I started, or until I started making cabinets, I never really paid attention to people's kitchens. Mm. Uh, like you know, like you see them as I'm assuming, like most people do. You just walk in and you see a kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, like I was hanging out with my friend Tyler. Um, I'm recently joined a band, um, and we were hanging out in her kitchen. She was looking for some fruit snacks for like a band band snack, snack. Um, and I was looking at her kitchen at the cabinets and stuff and I was like oh wow I know I know how to make all of this and it's mm. like I know all the terminology for this I know how all of this is put together and it makes you like yeah. warm inside yeah and I was like this is I'm like you you approach things and you you look at them in a totally different way when you know how something operates and I feel like with bookmaking it's the same thing with books it's like you start looking at this book like the physical object of the book in a very very different light and all of these choices and all these things that you do now mm-hmm. um beforehand of like if you were designing something it might be more or less intuitive and after dealing with the book it still might be more or less intuitive but you at least get a sense of like this is the how big books feel and this is how tiny books yes. feel um so like yours is uh, oh um like five it's definitely Five by ten and a half, five by ten. Yeah, so hers, Mary's book is um, relatively tall, not super slender, but um, skinnier than, well, maybe about the, like the, I guess maybe a little fatter than like a paperback novel Mm. size, Mm -hmm. and maybe like twice as tall. Um, And a lot of her poems are short, um, and there is a hell of a lot of white space around them, which I think fit really really well with mm. your poems because they um they're very intimate and very present i feel when i was reading it it's like you they they're it's a uh, significant grounding force so to have to have them like this little grounding thing inside of this white space like any anytime that i see a book that has a ton of white space around the content it for me feels very um contemplative and reflective and it's like you you're supposed to sit with the poem on this page until moving on to the next one because you have all this white to kind of like let your brain just wander after you've read it. Right. Um, which is a um, 
a really important stylistic choice when you're dealing with poems of like how you want them to be experienced. Yeah. Um, and I think when you learn about books and the construction of them and then get the kind of design aspect of it too, which is another class that we took at UB um, was typography. So learning about um, the kind of the introduction to the layouts and fonts and all that, you really get a sense of like, you can control and affect everything for a book. And like all these little choices lead to different, a very, very different experience. Um, so I, it was, it's been inter it's interesting to me to see different editions of books and like how a different cover or a different size or different um, text or like font, um, font text font um, changes like your your experience with the book. Because yeah. um, I I read a like the the small version of um, or the small edition of. Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 with like the mm. the guy on the front who's made out of newspaper who has his like head in his hand and his own fire. I read that in high school, um, and I haven't been able to find that version again. But I got a version of Fahrenheit 451 that's just like a box of matches on the front. Oh. And I was like, this is a to like different. they both yeah. It's like they both fit, but it's totally it's two different very different interpretations of. And I think the book that I have on my shelf is a little bit bigger, so it's like you—it's not as thick, mm -hmm. um, and it reads a little quicker in my experience because you can get like more on each page. Yeah. Um, but that's. Well, and that like part of the program and thesis when you're picking, you know, making all these decisions. I love that they had us come up with three covers, mm -hmm. and and three very drastically different covers, yep. and then having to be like. No, this is this is the one, mm -hmm. and knowing pretty pretty quickly after you've played around and like done like one one of mine had like there's just only the title very negative space, and then mm. this one's just like so loud and big and yeah, I guess I wanted that part to be like just huge. Your your eyes have to eat so much, whereas mm -hmm. when you open the book, it's like you said a lot of white space. Yeah, just a contrast, but yeah. it's really cool that they have you make all these decisions like yeah that. and I didn't I didn't consider that that it, the the cover of the book is like the flash like the when you're like lighting a match it's like the fire that ignites mm. that that aspect of it that's like it's the flare and it's the kind of burn of that God. and then <laughs> yeah so her, her book is called girl flame which is where the fire analogy is coming from but when you <laughs> like reading through the book it's the kind of like when things settle down and you have the kind of steady little burn of a flame mm. that's the much more like I also with flames that uh, we have a thing of matches in the bathroom for when the cat poops um, <laughs> to kind of air things out sure sure so she like maybe an hour before you came over she pooped and I lit a match so fire is very <laughs> very prescient on my brain right now um, but you know it's like when, like the lighting of the match it's like you have after like the spark and like the ignition you have this little kind of Just intimate burns. little burn thing yeah oh. <laughs> makes me so happy that that's the analogy for my book <laughs> so it was all like the things that you were doing for your book was it all conscious deliberate thought and action or was some of it kind of just like this feels like it works but there's no real 
the design yeah or like the like the layout and like the font choice and the placement of everything was there like did you spend time thinking critically about it or are you just kind of like this is what feels right yeah if there's anything i've learned about myself through this program is that my decisions are very swift and very mm-hmm. um i'm i'm pretty confident in my decisions even okay. if later on i'm kind of like oh i wish i'd done this in the moment so I knew I wanted to do collage. Mm-hmm. I went to the book thing, got a bunch of stuff together, and then just I made that, you know, not to be like I made it in a day, but I just like <laughs> I had a right, vision, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's exactly and and at the beginning of the the semester, all the professors were like, "Don't be like tied to anything, mm-hmm. like be open minded," and I was like, "Sure," <laughs> <laughs> but in my head I was like, "Nope, I'm doing a collage, and there's no one who's going to tell me otherwise." Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as typefaces go, I was surrounded by so many people who, in my program, just are brilliant designers. I mean... Fucking Chris's book. Yeah. Just gorgeous. Ugh. Every every single book was so beautiful. I'm still working my way through them. <laughs> um, but I worked really closely with all the poets, too, and mm-hmm. Andrew's book is just... Um, oh, yeah. It's a work of art. Um, so I had a lot of, like, I feel like I fed off of a lot of other people and saw what they were looking at mm-hmm. and just played around with it a little bit on the page. But once I found something, I found something and I didn't, I didn't think yeah. a lot about it, think critically. I do wish sometimes I thought more critically about things, <laughs> but usually I'm just like, oh, I want this. Bop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I, one of the... One of the neat things, so I experienced this for the first time while, like, in my final year of the program, but it's been kind of reinforced every consecutive year. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that there are so many varied voices that come out, um, and you can really see them, as, like, very, very plainly and obviously in the books that come out of the program. Because mm-hmm. they all look totally different. Um, and so for the UB program, um, for the MFA program, you not only write a thesis, but you produce like the book of it. So the, you design it, um, you can hand make it if you want. Um, although the last couple of classes seem to be more, you get them printed. Um, <laughs> and cry. Yes. <laughs> um, throw up a couple times. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you, you are in charge of not only writing um, the content for the book, but you are the author of what it looks like. And so you design all of it. Um, and I feel like in those instances, you really get kind of like a, um, maybe not so much, well, I don't know. I was going to say like a distilled essence of kind of the, the aesthetics of the author, but it might just be for that particular you know book or whatever that that's what draws out so like a a pretty staunch facet of whatever somebody's aesthetics are right right, Um, right. but it is really neat to see that there's so many like they all look different and they all have different feels and like most of the covers um so i'm i've gotten into the habit of judging books by covers which is can be dangerous um yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I, I used to not, um, but after going through the program and like being more aware of what 
like what a cover image and like what the cover does for the book. Mm -hmm. It's like the very it's the initial interaction that you have with whatever the content is. Yeah. Um, I I do it. I judge them, and it's like I I I can't not now. And I'm sh I'm sure that I've passed up a lot of really good poetry or prose based upon the cover. You know, it's like just window shopping, just going through. Um, but I do have to say that I feel like for most of the books that have come out of the, the UB MFA program, like if I saw any of them cover wise, I'd be like, yeah, I'd, I'd pick this up and pick it up and yeah, yeah, so beautiful every year. Have you found ever that you've picked up a book with a beautiful cover and the writing was meh, or it wasn't for you? Yes, um, actually, the where is this? Um, the top shelf of that bookcase. Mm -hmm. um, now, is it that one? Um, yeah. Of that bookcase is full of poetry books that I've picked up just because they looked cool or like a poem in there, like a poem or two spoke to me. Mm. Um, and now I'm in the process of going through them to see if they really actually like sit with me or mm -hmm. not. Because the, the middle, sh the second to top shelf on the big bookcase mm -hmm. is all of my like my pantheon of poets I the lights right on them mm -hmm. <laughs> so like Jane Hirschfield Mary Oliver Lee Young Lee Charles Wright all have like prominent positions there mm -hmm. and then the one under that um oh I guess that's my it's the beginning of my Japanese or my uh, Asian collection those mm -hmm. are all like Korean and Chinese poets cool um yeah so it's that that one shelf is stuff that I've just kind of actually this is one that I was working through um, Lisa Olstein's Little Stranger that I saw I, someone just talked to me about this book. really yeah was it good I don't remember I started reading it a couple months ago and then I got um, distracted by something um, and I have yet to make it back to it I actually it was it been moved around a couple places and I forgot that it was underneath uh, the coffee table but um, yeah, so that's one of those things. Like I, I saw the cover and I was like, I'm I can get on board mm -hmm. with that. Um, that's beautiful. I buy poetry books more or less impulsively. Um, <laughs> Remember when I said I make decisions and yes. don't think about it. <laughs> um, and it's it's tough, especially with I mean, I imagine with a lot of things, but with with books, you know, it's like if you pick something up and you read it and you're like, ah. It's like it's not really it doesn't hit and it's like is it it's just just not your style or right. is it like not the time for it to hit and then if you hold on to it at some point in the future you'll be like oh i really need this book yeah. now um i can't i don't i've not gotten a good balance with the like yeah is it is it a now thing or is it yeah 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 it's hard because some one person's junk and another person's treasure so if you just know feel the poetry personally right particularly with poetry like I feel like there's a readership for almost every poet out there mm -hmm. who's publishing yeah small world yeah <laughs> <laughs> so my friend was I told my friend I was coming on this podcast she's like you're you're gonna you're gonna be famous one day and I was like poets don't get yeah. famous <laughs> Yeah, about so like if you know who Jane Hirschfield is, that's about the extent, mm -hmm. or like um, I don't know, like, Rita Dove. Yeah, or like Pinsky or Elliot or mm -hmm. um, Rankin, right? Um, or um, Plath. Like that's yeah. Plath is about the extent 
getting of, away to Sonia um, of how how popular poets are, which is weird because in other countries, poet like poets have a much larger social role. Mm. Um, there's a Chinese poet named Bei Dao who I love, um, who's written a bunch of collections of poetry and a couple of um, I think he has like one collection of fiction, um, and a couple collections of nonfiction like nonfiction essays. And in one of them, um, he talks about going to a bunch of different poetry um, festivals in different countries. Mm -hmm. And getting, I started developing this sense and then reading his, his, uh, his essays, even though they were set like 20 or 30 years ago, still feels like in other countries, poets are kind of like the social conscious that they're, and they're on the front lines of social change and social progress and the protests that are involved with that yeah. and they're on the front lines of these things um and it seems like in the united states it's poetry is kind of regulated as this high academic uh pursuit or the kind of spoken word which is a feels like a very kind of urban um like it has its genesis in like urban yeah. like tight-knit community settings right um, so it doesn't it's not widespread right or, or looked down upon because it's, you know, like this like spoken word performative thing that's not, you know, quote-unquote poetry. poetry. Right, yeah. Um, but then poetry seems to be uh, primarily, even though it may not be written primarily by people in these circles, but, you know, like the kind of um, stereotypic, stuffy, you know, like MFA professors. Or, yeah. It's, it's right, it's two very extremes, and so there's, it sounds like America, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, get it together. Yeah. Poetry could do so, so good. Like it has in other countries, like you're saying. Yeah. I think it has, I don't know if it's like a, if it's the history of the culture. Because I think in other, other countries, um, like art has a much bigger cultural influence or that the artists are seen as these kind of like uh, pillars and the, the movers and they, like they change the rudder of mm -hmm. how society is going. Um, and it seems like in the United States, you don't like, you have the artists that are kind of the, the big name ones, um, but they don't seem to really affect society as a whole. It's like it's they just affect the art world. And who like, for lack of better words, people who don't necessarily need to be. Right. You know, they're there. Right. Already. Yeah. Yeah. It's very um, isolated. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't, want, I don't want to blame the Puritans for everything, but the fact that the United States at least still seems to be in the throes of the kind of, like, puritanical, hard work, yeah. no-nonsense, utilitarian everything. Right. Um, we're all about making a lot of, or working and making money yeah. and being powerful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we can start the theme. Yeah. I was, I've been seeing a couple articles on Facebook pop up, like being shared by um, teacher friends of mine about like what the value of teaching um, like English or the humanities mm. is and the whole, the whole sort of um, like focus on STEM and college, more or less, is a, is a means for, like, a, a good job as opposed to a just, like, you are a 
influence it's a place to be influenced and experience a wide reach of ideas and um not just own your own business one day which is great yeah which is great but like i started teaching on friday it's just an orientation course but yeah it's so much fun i sent them to the wrong classroom on the first day (laughs) (laughs) they came in i was like hello don't you love me um i feel like that's like that's a good like orientation for exactly i was like you got to see another building they're like we don't care about the chemistry building (laughs) good good life lesson yeah but um so many of them just what they want to be or what they want to do and it's business business economics business Mm -hmm. finance which is great you know we need those people Mm -hmm. um but I like I'm subtly trying so we got a template of a syllabus but I changed it up just a little bit and every assignment I'm giving them the option to do a creative writing so I'm just gonna like talk that up a lot every class yeah be like Maybe it sounds corny to you, but just try it. I'm the only one who's reading it. <laughs> we'll see. Either yeah. they're going to be like, okay, lady, or they're going to be like, maybe I'll try this poem because it's less words. And right, then maybe yeah. it'll, you know, bring something out in them that they didn't, that, yeah. who knows. You teach? No. Although I have been, so I, I've res- resisted the pull of teaching for a while, um, at least with like English and stuff, primarily because I don't feel like I have enough experience yet to be like a worthwhile of like imparting what I know to other people. Oh, I um, I'm beginning to question that in myself too, or if, it, if that's more like a fear or an inexperience speaking and not, but whatever. Um, so I've been thinking, I have been thinking more and more about it, um, but I would want to jump into some sort of creative like intro creative writing or like an intro poetry workshop because mm-hmm. I don't think that I would do well at all in like a comp or a rhetoric right. class I just I don't I don't think that way I don't want to grade that way yeah. I, I'm much better suited I think to either super super subjective like creative writing mm-hmm. or something that is it's like it can only be one way and one like music theory and it's mm. like these things it's like maths almost yeah it's like this is what it is yeah and you have to learn it this way because this is what it is, you know. Like yeah. a, a C major scale has these eight notes. Mm. It's not you these eight notes. It. It's not a C major scale. You know, it's it's more of like a in the beginning kind of like a memorization and then just like a, a seeing of patterns. And mm-hmm. once you can see the patterns, and you can kind of do whatever. Um, but you know, it's patterns. They all follow like a certain rule. Right. Um, where it's much easier to grade. Like you have a rubric, or you have like the kind of ideal, you know, that you have to know these things. If you don't know them, it's wrong. Versus, like a comp thing that's like it has to be within these guidelines, yeah. and you know, it's like it's it's subjective to an extent of like I have to judge how well you have done these things. Argued something. Yeah. Or, yeah. And I'm like I don't I don't want to do right. I don't want to be the the arbiter of that sort of judgment. Because, yeah. Who knows? People really like different things. Right. And writing, I took this awesome class, and it was it was grammar, but it was like modern grammar. Mm-hmm. So, just <laughs> but it was a it was a study because or an independent study because I was like I really need to brush up on some grammar. Yeah. But then my professor was like, "We're not doing that. <laughs> We're not doing that at all." It was much more rhetoric. Okay. And also, you know, including quote unquote slang in papers mm-hmm. and 
words that are um, specific to a certain demographic or a certain culture or whatever mm-hmm. and not being like you can't put that in the it's like the whole high poetry thing right yeah like I loved it because he was just kind of like no like who says that mm-hmm. you have to write a certain way to get to a certain point or to make right. a certain or argument and I from then on that's why I mean that's part I noticed you do it in your writing too like all lowercase mm-hmm. uh, I think it's beautiful to write in all lowercase and I don't know people get so stuffy about some things like one of my colleagues in her email writing is just like we all need to like pay a lot more attention to our email writing and I'm like why yeah yeah <laughs> if it's inter- interdepartmental stuff it's like who give who cares yeah yeah, yeah I've, I've gotten into the habit of um, not capitalizing I when mm-hmm. I'm using that as like the pronoun just because like feel like I'm that important. It's like I don't, I don't need a capital. It's like whatever. Capitals don't look that pretty next to lowercase. I, mm. That's mine. Yeah. I like low, all lowercase stuff feels quieter and more intimate to mm-hmm. me, which I my poetry tends to be the stuff that's like I want people to, to like to hang out with it by themselves, yeah. you know, and like have a like a one-on-one interaction with it. Mm-hmm. Um and since I very rarely write in personas, it's all like me speaking. So it's like I feel like I tend to speak that way most of the time. Yeah, that makes sense. Unless I'm affecting, and like my text, if I'm affecting like mock indignation or excitement about something, then it's all capitals. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have seen your all capitals. They're brilliant. <laughs> capitals are shouting in a great way. I yeah. love them. When they're all together. So, poetry. Uh, <laughs> um, that is, I'm still, I'm very happy with that I came up with that type, with that, the name of this podcast is that because I, that's, oh, it's such Perfect a good segue. Perfect transition. Yes. Mm. Um, mm. But anyway, let's talk about some poetry. Let's do it. Um, so there are, um, I think I've mentioned this before, before every episode, I will send out um, like a list that is constantly changing um, of just questions and things to think about, like things that I might ask or just some things to get you into the, my, to get my guests into the mindset or into the space of thinking about poetry and their own process or whatever. It's a great list. Um, and there are a few questions that I want to ask, like every, or that I try to ask everybody. Um, and the first one is why poetry for you? Like why, why do it? Why are you, why did you make this? like a degree that you sought out. <laughs> <laughs> Poetry felt I I always growing up, I always loved art and my dad was great about and my mom, but my dad made a point to go to museums and we saw Broadway plays mm-hmm. and I and and I practiced an instrument for a while but none of that like I I so badly wanted a medium but I just wasn't artistic in the sense of like painting or drawing mm-hmm. not happening and uh, I wasn't passionate about music even though I love listening to it um, I did not want to practice ever I didn't want to practice I know that life yeah but I always read growing up, and honestly, for me, poetry didn't really kick in until um, my undergraduate degree. Mm. I thought I was going to be economics, 
and then I took. Oh, that's I know. A big change. I know. <laughs> I got a C in the class. <laughs> and I was like, supply and demand makes no sense to me. I just know I want to buy a lot of things. Um, and then I took my English class that I had to take. I'm not that I didn't want to, but it was like part of the program, mm-hmm. the gen eds or whatever. And I wrote a poem about my little brother being born and the day we found, well, with the day we found out my mom was pregnant. And like, it just like, I was like thinking about the actual moment and like putting that onto paper. And then I got my paper back and my professor, who's one of my favorite of all time, was like, you're a poet. <laughs> and I just was like, I am? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, maybe I found it. Mm-hmm. And, and then I went to a creative writing class and I did not look back. I was writing poetry all the time um but really short ones I've always written short poems I've never I think I just my attention span is short and I like just like a breath of a poem I guess um Mm -hmm. and then for my senior project so the whole time during undergrad is when I was going through my like a lot of changes like I was raised very catholic not super conservative my parents are very they're Mm open-minded um but catholic so there's a lot of guilt and shame Know that life too. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Were you Catholic too? No, evangelical Christian. Oh, okay. Oh, same kind of <laughs> shame yeah. and guilt. Yeah. Um. So during college, I I also studied women, gender, and sexuality studies as my minor. Ooh. So they just like converged at a great time because I was writing, and then I started writing about the female body and mm-hmm. female voices and empowerment and. Um, at first I wrote a lot through other women, like I wrote a lot through Mary Magdalene, I wrote a lot about the Madonna, yeah. I loved writing through, um, archetypes, Mm -hmm. goddesses, um, and then after I graduated, that's when I traveled a little bit and just kind of worked and lived with my parents, (laughs) but, um, I really loved art history and I really loved creative writing, so I knew I wanted to, like, get my master's in one of the two I didn't get an undergraduate degree in art history so to be honest like that one kind of Mm -hmm. tipped the scale because it was like it's so hard to get and then there's just so much that goes into it and you have to know language and I've never been very great at memorizing languages um so or learning languages Mm -hmm. um so then I found I was just I was living in Baltimore already and I was searching for programs and I was like creative writing and publishing design and I applied a week later. I had missed the deadline, but Aselica, she's one of my favorite people in the world. She was one of the, and she's a big UV person. She was my, the graduate advisor I talked to. And she was like, we can get it in, let's get it in. And a month later I was sitting in Kendra, or no, in Steve's creativity class. <laughs> and it was the best, it was by far the best three years of my life. I've learned so much. I've been really uncomfortable a lot, <laughs> really uncomfortable <laughs> having to talk about all kinds of things and learning things like, being Baltimore in this time, like, I was very I yeah. Catholic, kind of conservative, very whitewashed. I just, I I feel like I'm still learning. I have so much to learn and so much to unlearn. Yeah. But, and I know this isn't why poetry anymore. I've no. kind of gone off on a trajectory, but it just does a lot. If, if any of my listeners know, I'm a no... I'm no stranger to tangents. So <laughs> not a stickler to the no, not at to all. the question. No. Great. It all comes down to poetry has. I mean, I really do give a lot of credit to poetry for becoming just more of a person that I like to be. Yeah. Like I like who I am right now, and I don't think I really. I didn't know it, but I wasn't a person I would like now. Back. Yes. When I was in undergrad. Yeah. Do you? 
So how do you typically employ poetry? Like, what do you, do you use it as a means to, because like for me, writing is a, is a way for me to um, connect and kind of like process and understand like the things that I'm doing. So I, I realized that um, working on um, Possessed by Space, mm -hmm. that I'm a, um, I'm a location artist and like the way that I process and deal with like new surroundings or deal with whatever that I'm that's around me, like the space that's around me, mm -hmm. is to write. It's like that's that's my way to yeah that, that's my way to um to connect and to tr like to to get a sense and intuit the vibe of whatever yeah. the place is. Um, and there's some other I think oh crap I don't remember who this was, um, but they use it as like an exploration of they write as an exploration of themselves mm. or like an exploration of other people mm -hmm. like through personas and stuff which allows them like a better understanding of themselves so like for you ha like how do you is it a way for like reflective or internal understanding or is it a way mm. for like external understanding yeah that's a good question i think it's a little bit of both to be a cop out um <laughs> really though i'm a very emotional person and things make me cry all the time or laugh and cry mm -hmm. like I'm either on the scale I think Kristen Bell who I just love she said if I'm not between a three or a f or a six on the like one to ten emotional scale I'm crying <laughs> and that's basically me like something's always making me cry um and like in a like both positive and yeah, negative ways yeah okay. I just feel a lot I feel a lot You're just super close to like that ex that mode of expression of emotion yes okay. yeah yeah and um you know, I don't want to be like, I'm so empathetic, but I empathetic in the way too, that I just mm -hmm. like, I sponge things up and feel other people's feelings. So for me, it's that, so that's how it is kind of externally. Like for instance, listening to NPR or a podcast mm. or reading something in the news, like one line can catch me as poetic and I, I want to write a poem about that. Okay. So it's both kind of me processing, like for instance, um, I read this, I get the Daily Skim, which is just this, like, a newsletter and email that goes over big pieces of news, international news, and local domestic. Mm -hmm. um, and there's always this top little quote that's just funny, usually. And uh, the, uh, this past week, there was a line that said, Lucy fell from a tree. And then it had the quote and what it was about. And mm -hmm. it was about our ancient yeah, ancestor. Yeah. And I just thought that was lovely for some, you know, like, sad, but, because <laughs> yeah. she died. But also, like... How like how can you not put that somewhere? Mm -hmm. um, so I like to kind of like collect. It's kind of like my collaging. I like to collect lines. Okay. I like to overhear people talking. Mm. I get a lot from that. <laughs> and seeing other people do things and interact with each other. Like I love catching someone grab their partner's hand. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, your poems are full of the little moments of like noticing somebody or like the receipt poem. Yeah. Um, yes, yes, yes. And, and taking something that maybe, you know, I know all poets do this. That's the whole, that's the big poet thing. But, like, taking something that might, someone else might just look at and it's part of life and they don't think about it mm -hmm. and putting that on a page. And, yeah. I mean, you do, your poem, um, when you're talking to someone about bees. Oh, yeah. And it's a he, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. He, the beer bottle in the crook of his elbow, I was like, so subtly voyeuristic <laughs> in like the best way because you were obviously listening but also you were paying attention to what this person was doing with their body and like 
I think that makes a poem so beautiful when you can insert things like that instead of just being like, I don't know, didactic or like yeah. talking about love, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I'm not a love kind. So when you, like for that, for that particular poem, um, it didn't strike me that it was going to be a poem until it was either later that night or the following day that mm-hmm. I wrote that one. Mm-hmm. Um, when you are um, like interacting with people or when you see one of those moments, do you get the sense of like, oh, like there's a poem, like, like this is unspiraling right now and I have to capture this or does it, is it like a delay that you'll be sitting somewhere and that thought will be like, oh, that's... Yeah. See, it sounds like you, so you process, do you do a lot of critical thinking? You know, I remember you, no. Okay. It's typically, so, well, I, I'll explain how I think I think. Okay. After you answer. Okay, okay, yeah, I didn't <laughs> so mean I to. I don't want to go off on a big tangent and yeah. have you lose what you were going to oh, say. Oh, yeah, no, no. I just was going to say that typically it does happen. Like, I think some of my friends would even remember me being like, that's a poem. What you just said's a poem. And so then I'm like, I need to stop because I'm not being present in the moment. But like mm. then it starts like, I'm like, okay, this line, this line, this line. Oh, and remember this color. Oh, and remember the juice. Oh, and... So is it is it like, is it a struggle for you? Like when you, when something happened, you're like, oh, this is a poem. To like, to allow both like the process to, of the absorption to happen, but also to maintain like presentness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. And again, like then the whole empathy thing comes in. Because even if I'm not like seeing there like... I feel for this person mm-hmm. my body does somehow like I I just I don't know why I was giving this <laughs> disposition but <laughs> I'm very much when I feel sadness like I know it's like it's seeping in mm-hmm. then I'm also writing a poem and then I'm also not fully listening sometimes right. to the person which yeah. is bad um, so you up. when you experience emotion it's like a full body sensual thing mm-hmm. wow it's so different than the way that I process emotions. Yeah, how do yeah. you? So how do you? Well, this this is kind of related to the how I think that I think. Um, I've refined this image to, um, if you can imagine, like the head of a company, um, in his office, in his like he has an office, he has windows over like looking out into like the bullpen or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but they're frosted, so you can see kind of. Like shapes and things going on out there, but you don't get any any of the actual detail of whatever's happening out there. Sure. And then every so often, somebody will pop into the office and hand like the head of the company like a memo or something, um, and then leave. Yeah. And in those moments, it's like as the doors open, you get like a better, you get just a glimpse, but a little bit of an image of like what's happening out in the actual office. I see. Yep. I feel like that's how my conscious thought or my consciousness like actual like I'm in control of how I'm like these thoughts are in my head and my unconscious are in relation to each other oh that's what a wonderful analogy first of all thank you that I, that makes is, me really understand what you're saying that has taken me like two or three years to, to tone it down to that because yeah. um in any given point of the day it's super super quiet in my head mm-hmm. like there's really not a whole lot going on mm-hmm. um but I think that my unconscious or my subconscious whatever either both of them or like if there's a difference or some conjunction of those are constantly like churning and spinning out stuff but I don't I'm not privy to any of like what's happening uh, below compartmentalize I guess it's yeah. like it's I don't I don't know if it's ever been 
like a conscious choice of me that it's like I don't have access to that mm-hmm. part because I mean there are times um, that I've dealt with like some anxiety and some depression that I get I guess some of that spills out into the consciousness where it's like the just the obsessiveness about certain things and like the cyclical thoughts sure um, but usually like if if something's a if I get the sense that something is going to be a poem or it's like if I'm thinking about something um, it usually kind of like filters down into the loam of the unconscious and then just kind of um, like kicks around in there for a while mm-hmm. and then eventually it's like a little like memo thing will pop up and I'm like oh okay this is because usually like for a lot typically with poems when I get them um, most of the poem is formed mm-hmm. before I start writing it. Wow. Because um, there are two right now that I that are kind of kicking around in my head mm-hmm. that um, I probably could get most of it down. It's like, for both of them, I know that the majority of them is, is kind of formed, mm-hmm. and in the writing of it, the rest of it will probably fall into place. Mm-hmm. But I might also just let it hang out. Like, the longer that it hangs out in my head, mm-hmm. the more of it that typically becomes formed yeah it's um, like a kind of not procrastination because there's no deadline right but they say that why creatives sometimes have the best ideas or like have this beautiful work is because we're just like just gonna let it yeah. sit for a little while yeah um and a lot of like the thoughts of that i get about things feel it's almost like an athena moment it's like they come out pretty fully fleshed um and it's like oh but it's just kind of like a a alert it's like this is what you think about this thing like, <laughs> okay um i love you talking about like your brain parts like being well, a separate michael well it because the first the first way that i started thinking about this was that um it, it had to do with um intuition like I, so i don't know if you do this or not but i fake interview myself mm. not all the time but mm-hmm. definitely like if i'm in the shower or something i'll like it just <laughs> yeah Michael? <laughs> yeah. Um, so this one particular fake interview lasted in from, like, I got into the shower and started the fake interview, and it lasted my entire drive to work, which is, like, I don't know, like 40 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, one a the, lot to ask yourself. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, one of the questions that came up, I guess, that I posed to myself was the nature of, like, intuition. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of what I do is based upon kind of like the feelings and the vibe and just sort of like not consciously knowing something, but it's like you know it, but it, it's not because you actually sat and thought about it. It's oh, just okay. this thing that this like... You've like said to... Yeah, and it, it feels for me it's like the tide kind of coming in. It's like this this thought just kind of rises up mm. from somewhere and you're like, okay, this is... Because um, yeah. there would be like people that I meet or just like instances or like situations that I've that I've been in that I either get a feeling that's like, oh, something's not, you know, and then later on it'll be justified or I get verifications like this, the feeling that I had. Um, or in other situations where I get, like I have no reason to know this and I have not consciously actively thought about it, but I'll get an answer to something or I'll get like some bit of information will come up that's because like my intuition or the unconscious has been spinning around. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that I described intuition was that like at least for me it's like I think that I'm unconsciously picking up on all these different cues and that just kind of gets amalgamated into this this impression Mm -hmm. 
that I'm not consciously picking up. It's like the way that somebody holds themselves or the way that they speak or something, but like it's all getting filtered in or it's all coming in and mm -hmm. it gets filtered out through this like unconscious process. And then it, like a, when I first started thinking about the intuition, it was like a um, gray cards that are either um, like blind stamps or letter pressed mm. that come up with this sort of like this impression or this idea. And sometimes they're really, really clear. That's like you think this, and other times it'd be like blind stamped. You can only catch it in a, like a certain light. That it's like, I have a feeling about something, but I'm not entirely like it's not super sussed out. And it's, out yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just sort of like it's like the beginnings are like just the periphery of like. You I'm, need to like go through the experience again or something. Yeah. Um, so, relatedly, I mean, this is this will be another question that we will get to. Uh, about like the internal landscape or the, I guess maybe we can segue into that now. Um, but for me, it's like my, if I view like what's on the inside of me, it's a like grassland, like South Dakota prairie. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's just big expanses of openness. Um, and sometimes it's, it's just the, like I am the expanse. Sometimes I am walking through the expanse and sometimes I'm watching myself like a version of me walk through the expanse. Mm -hmm. um, but getting back to the, like how I deal with emotions, it's like I'm, it's like I'm watching the like weather happen on the inside of me and that's what the emotions are. It's like, I don't actively feel them. It's, I, I know that they're, they're occurring through me, but there's this level, this immediate level of distance. Okay. It's like, I'm observing this and I'm like, I can be objective about what it is that I feel because it's like watching like rain happen. It's like sometimes I'm rained on and sometimes it's just like, you know, there's rain happening somewhere off in the prairie somewhere. I like, I love myself and like how I process <laughs> things, but I would love to have some control sometimes because control like that, mm -hmm. just because it'll be, I'll be with my boss and you know, something will, I will have done something wrong, but it's, it's really not that big of a deal, mm -hmm. but like I cry. Yeah. And I don't like crying in front of people that I don't want to cry in front of, you yeah. know? Um, so I admire that. That's that's awesome. So do you feel, though, sometimes you don't fully, um, like, do you ever feel like you want to be crying more? Because <laughs> I, I love crying. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, I used to be a lot, at least with crying, I used to be a lot closer to that mm -hmm. when I was younger. Um, and I, it's like I haven't had a good cry in a while. Um but I mean, there, at least maybe like a year or two ago, um, like I would have um, Anne Hathaway's version of um, Dream to Dream, like queued up on YouTube and just watch that like two or three times through and just let everything oh, just that's like, like that your trigger. At one of them, mm -hmm. at least one of like a, the most um, faithful triggers that I had. It's like sitting there and watching that and just it just like. Watch. I don't think I need it, but <laughs> I'll have to watch. <laughs> it's so in I it is a incredibly, incredibly powerful song, but because at least for that version of Les Mis, all of the stuff, all of the lyrics were recorded live. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's like you see so that that's something for those of you who are not familiar with um, movie musicals, typically the cast will, will record the vocals to all the all the songs like some either like a month or a week or however long before they actually do the uh, made the main shooting for the um 
for the movie. So when they get to those scenes, they'll just pipe it over through like loudspeakers or something, and they lip sync over it. Um, so a lot of times, actors will have to make the choices of what the characters are going to do way beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Les Mis, all of the all of the songs that you see were performed live by the actors. There was like a um, like a piano accompaniment in like a earwig or something that they had, so they could keep on beat or keep like on note mm-hmm. um but like they sang it live and then they got the orchestra to um like they did it kind of backwards they got they had the vocals live and then they had the orchestra play to match that so I they see. could make um they could slow down they could speed up they could change the syncopation of the things that they say all on the spot all in like the moment of wow. these these like being um having these choices to do in the moment right. um so with Anne Hathaway's version, I don't know what take this was that made it into like the final film, mm-hmm. um, but like she breaks, like the character breaks, and you can see those moments of breaking, and it's like, that. yeah, it's immediate and it's visceral, and it's like those are those are the moments where it's just like I, you know, you can't you can't not feel it, and yeah. it's so much more, so much closer to seeing it live because they're making all these choices like in the moment of these characters, and it's like you you're it's like a grounding thing you're so they're so present and it's just like oh my god right and, and then you're like not only thinking about the content of the song and what's happening in that mm-hmm. in the play at the time but you're thinking about this person putting themselves in these shoes mm-hmm. there's so much mixed in mm-hmm. <laughs> god so much yeah i'll send it actually i'll, I'll make that as a um link it yeah so if, any, if anybody weeps, needs a good cry. Because yeah, or needs a good cry or whatever, <laughs> go to go to this link, in, in the description. Doctor's orders. Yeah, but I um. I don't know. I think. I think over time I've become a little less attached to the things that I feel, and I started thinking about um. So I'm still kind of a little bit, but back when I was kind of at the tail end of being a Christian, um, became incredibly suspicious of happiness, mm. like kind of stereotypical mainstream happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and was just like, I don't, I don't, I didn't trust it at all. Um, and I felt much more, like much better situated in the kind of like the heavier end of the spectrum stuff because it's at least... In, it was in my opinion that it's harder to fake that stuff. It's like those things are typically like they they necessitate like an authentic, sincere reaction mm-hmm. to like whatever that you're dealing with. Um, but I started getting to the point where I um, I wanted my like more or less like all the time emotional state to be kind of like primed and ready, or I guess maybe neutral. Mm-hmm. So whenever like an emotion happened, I would allow myself to like to travel that spoke out into whatever this like the emotion was and then when it passes kind of go back down to just mm-hmm. whatever the equilibrium is mm-hmm. um and i started trying to view emotions as almost like weather weather patterns like there there's an um, it's an involuntary internal response that you have to things that just sort of happen mm-hmm. you know it's like you experience something you feel this 
the feeling of it is valid and it's not bad. It's you typically like what you do in response to it is the thing that you have control over. Judgment on you. Yeah, but it's like the feeling, like just because you feel something, like the feeling of it is not a negative or a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. like it may not be the ideal thing that you want to feel, but like you can work through that afterwards. But it's just you know, be like if like a doctor smacks your knee with like the reflex test. Right. It's like your knee is gonna move. That that's just that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in trying to view and experience emotions like that, I've gained some more and more distance from them because it's you know it's like they happen, but it's almost like these emotions are happening like to me. It's, mm-hmm. I'm like I'm experiencing them, but it's not like my roommate. Um, I think feels emotions or processes emotions much more similarly to you. That they're like a full body, almost visceral. You know, it's like they she when emotions happen she like becomes emotion yeah so it's like if keeping the storm analogy for me like emotion as it passes it's like i'm being rained on mm-hmm. when emotion happens for her it's like she is the, the storm rain. it's like she's <laughs> the rain that's that's falling yeah um yeah. which i mean like you said it's it's like each either one of them can have its ups and downs yeah oh yeah it pros and cons yeah 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 <laughs> I, I really do wish I could like t- step a step back and watch it happen. But I am what I am. Yeah. <laughs> but since I mentioned my internal landscape, this is the other major question that I wanted I want to ask everybody. If you if you had the vocabulary for it, like what what would your internal landscape I love be? this question. It came up because of Shreya. She's the first person that I asked this oh, to, and then it became a staple. Oh, I haven't listened to Shreya's. What's her internal landscape? Should I just listen? Um, hers is like, it's like a planet, like a, like an actual planet, almost like mm. a sci-fi, like a, some sort of alien, not alien in the sense of like sci-fi, that it's not, it's not Earth, um, that's populated. Like she has other like voices or just like personas maybe that exist on this planet. Okay. Um, which was wild for me when she told me about it, because, like, I, mine's, I got nothing, nobody else is there except occasionally me, yeah, in the wind. Um, in, like, a bay, or a bale of, or what are those things? Tumbleweeds. That, tumbleweeds. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a tumbleweed. Occasionally. Mm-hmm. There's also, there's occasionally um, a fire pit with, like, a log for a bench, and a house that is a single room Mm. um that also will lead to like other like subterraneous rooms of me but it's typically like if if the house shows up it is a room with a bed a desk um a lamp curtains on the window and the window is open and there's a breeze blowing Mm. through but that's it Mm -hmm. um yeah so but anyway i can see it i can see yours i mean not as much well as you can obviously, <laughs> <laughs> but I can see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so if you if you have the vocabulary yeah. to describe it, what what's going on on the inside? <gasps> the inside of this old girl. <laughs> um, a lot of color. Ooh. Um, that swirls. Mm. Um, and I also, since I've been a very little girl, I've had a nostalgia for, and I've never been there. I'm going there this year. A New Mexico turquoise Ooh. kind of uh, like a Texas Texas but also some Native American mm-hmm. and 
uh, I don't know what that is, but I, like, since I was a little girl, like, sometimes I'd let myself go into this daydream that isn't even, like, anything happening, but it's just this, like, feeling I get, and it's somehow, like, like, itchy blankets. Like, that's like so wool. weird. Yeah. Okay. But I don't know if I call that my internal landscape. I think that, like, comments on my internal landscape, which okay. is actually much more of a sensual kind of, like, like I said, conglomeration of colors swirling together. A lot of pinks and... I love pink and purple. Okay. I love, like, a... Um, uh, What's that color called? Oxblood. I love like a very Ooh. deep purpley red. I see that a lot. Oxblood, isn't that a gorgeous one? Um, there is a, I don't know if you've discovered this. I might, oh fuck, I'll see if I can refind it. But it's a, um, it's a website that you can type in um, either the name of a color or like the, like the six digit whatever color for it. Like the, um, oh, HTML. the Pantone. Yeah. yeah. And it comes up with, the color and then it gives you like all the colors in the family and like the adjacent like on the wheel like mm. complementary colors and stuff sounds I'll... like a type design person's dream yes please send that to me i do love colors um so that's that's in like i've i've never been to um like the prairie like the the grassland like south dakota e mm -hmm. you know like that area but that's like i've always well, maybe not always, but as I started thinking and being more acquainted with like my vast internal space, mm -hmm. had it felt like an affinity or almost like a nostalgia to this area. Space that you've yeah. lived in. I think it's just so interesting. Like for me, I'm kind of like, well, did I have a previous life? Like I'm very open right now to belief systems, mm -hmm. and I'm like, it could be that. It could just be like a piece of me or some kind of like, I don't know. I like to think that I'm part goddess and she exists over there <laughs> i don't know but yeah it's it's comforting to hear that someone i've always been a little alarmed of it i'm like why do i why do i have that and and i see like a, a clay house mm -hmm. um there is ooh, there is a writer's or like an artist residency in taos oh my that I applied to but did not get but I will send you the information yes, for that because you get your own little like Adobe thing Adobe that you can like that you live in for however long that you're down there but I will I'll send it to you please I mean if you didn't get it I don't know what chance I have but I'll definitely look at it maybe I'll make my own writing retreat <laughs> in an Adobe yeah hmm I would like to maybe not well, maybe as like I don't know as like a follow up and addendum for this, but when you go at least for my own personal interest, when you after you go down there, I'd like to hear yeah. if, like if it actually like fit with. Yeah, I will, for sure. Yeah, something with turquoise and I don't know like the music of and the warmth and fire, like a bonfire smell. Mm -hmm. um, it makes me feel very comforted, and sometimes I go to that place when I'm feeling sad or lost confused mm -hmm. I'll like go inside myself and be there but internal landscape like when I when I like to think about kind of aesthetically how I am inside mm -hmm. it's very much this romantic colors I guess okay um, and like clouds of it or swirls of it and no like just like that's the essence of it is just like swirls and... yeah like okay. paint swirls okay mm -hmm. is it if you could give a texture 
to it? Would it be like gaseous? Would it be like acrylic, like thickness, like It'd acrylic? Be, yeah, wet paint. Okay. Yeah, mixed swirl. And kind of like delicious looking because I love food. Like frosting? Yeah. <laughs> I was internally filled with frosting. <laughs> that is a poem. My internals are frosting. <laughs> My internal landscape is frosting. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> uh, but really, that's an awesome question. I'm going to go back. Have you asked everyone consecutively? After, after Shreya. Um, maybe not Stephen. Maybe not the last person. Did you interview Stephen Duran? Yes. Cool. Yeah, he was my most, he was the last, I guess the last guest of season one. Okay. Yeah. I love Caligula. Caligula. I have trouble with that word. Yeah, Caligula. Caligula. Yeah. Caligula Playhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never yes. get it. And his re- reading of it was great. I went to a reading. Yeah. Um, Sarah Lynn's was like the inside of a geode. Mm. Um, mm. Karen's was, um, it was like, I think it was like the Irish landscape. Oh. Um, somebody was like water... Um, oh crap! Who uses water? Who was after? Oh, I don't know. Yes, yeah, Sarah Lynn was the only one. The only other one that I remember vividly was like the inside of like hard, but um, hard and sharp and very like bright and sparkly, but crystal. like in like deep inside. Mm, she needs to go to like aren't there crystal? Like the crystal caves Ca- and stuff. Yeah, I wonder if she's been or if she needs to go. Sarah you need to go. Yeah, you do. Um, let's see. Some other questions. Um, have you... Okay, well, these are. this is kind of a two-part question, but they both kind of maybe tend towards the same answer. Um, are there, like, if you could name major influences on your work mm-hmm. slash... Have you gone? Has you have your has your writing gone through any major like changes? Changes. Yeah. Um. Like, have you had certain periods of writing, and then something happens, and you move on to like the next period? Right, right, right. I would say I've been probably through two major shifts. Um, mm-hmm. When I was writing tor- in undergrad, like I said, I was writing through fe- other female voices. I mm-hmm. wasn't writing personally at all. Uh, I never used I statements. Okay. I always thought that that like I remember in a class this one woman who and this is an undergrad Mm -hmm. she wrote a lot about her breakup and Mm. and that was such a like it was great writing and she was getting a lot out of it and that's all that matters Mm -hmm. but it was a little bit of a turnoff for me because I was like this kind of sounds like just like a gush like Mm -hmm. If I could go back, I would go back and re-listen and, like, probably really appreciate what she was putting. But I guess it was part of the whole shame thing. Like, I was, shouldn't be talking about myself. Uh, Yeah, so I talked about, yeah. If I'm psychoanalyzing myself, that's what I feel. I think that for a long time I resisted talking about myself because I didn't think, you know, I should be talking about myself. Mm -hmm. It's too egotistical. Yeah. Um, So then once I started kind of, I didn't write a lot a lot in between program like Mm -hmm. undergrad and graduate um so when I got first got to UB I was writing a lot ecrastically like pieces of art Mm -hmm. um 
And then I think it was really Steve's class where... Experimental forms? No, it was a poetry workshop. Oh. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started writing about strangers. Mm. Um, and kind of more sensually and being mm. braver about, like, my sexuality and, like, not trying to hide that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started writing a lot in that strain. And then it was really, like, January of this year where I started writing eye poems. And I was wow. like... Yeah. I was like, I'm going to write about myself now because, you know, that's okay to do. <laughs> no shame, Mary. Uh, it still feels weird sometimes when I put out a poem that's, like, about me or my experience or, like, periods or sexuality, like, female things and experiences. Like, I still get, like, red in the face sometimes when I publish it, but I'm trying to push myself to keep doing that and not being like, you shouldn't be writing about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you use I guess nowadays or in your recent shift when you use I in a poem it's like it means you as the the poet author for the most part yeah okay. unless I'm putting myself in someone else's shoes but yeah no I is usually me okay yeah 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 have- you close readers out there of poetry you should never assume that the I in a poem is the like the author oh, yeah um, same thing that's like when you read a not or a, a first person short story or um, novel or whatever. Um, typically, you don't assume that the I is the actual, like the author, author. Um, and I don't know. When you're workshopping, you typically are like the speaker. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I don't like. I'm a big I'm a big big fan of close reading of like all the things that you need to find or all the things you really need to know to support ideas about a, like a piece mm-hmm. can be found in the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it's a, it's maybe auxiliarily important to know about the author's life. So like with you, that, you know, people reading your poetry, if the eye is you or not, may not be that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. But knowing you that it's like if you made the shift, it's like these are now you. It's like that changes the quality and the experience of the poem. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I felt like all of a sudden I was writing much more honestly. Yeah. Instead of writing how I would want people to perceive me. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, I mean, I still do that sometimes anyways. But for the most part, when I was writing through another voice or another female voice or, you know, whatever, just writing about things that didn't even have to do with people, I guess, I, I might not write as honestly as I do, you know, it's just the shift of yeah. getting a little older and a little more like... <laughs> yeah, and that's that's a really powerful. I think it's a really powerful place to reach, when you're just like, fuck it. Because people think. I mean, yeah. I do. Right. But yeah. A lot less than I did. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. It's so powerful. It's so empowering. Most of the. Um, one sec. <laughs> Water break. Um. Most of the kind of like good experiences that I've had have come from moments of just like fuck it like the um so I was in uh the shape of things a couple of years ago um at UB and it was like my thesis the beginning of my actually I think it was my thesis year like the set my second second part of thesis year oh that's the big, um, big part yeah and um Kimberly like asked me if I would want to audition and I showed up at the audition to tell her, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to have time 
for this, I'm thinking. I, I would love to be in it, but I just, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to be able to, to swing it. And she was like, okay, you know, I, I mean, I understand, but since you're here, would you mind reading for the, some of the other parts? Or just, like, read so that people, other people who are auditioning can have, like, somebody to, to read against. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, sure, I got nothing to do tonight. Um, and that turned into my audition. And I was like, I, it, so it was, bad. it was one of those moments where it was like, I wasn't intending to audition, mm-hmm. so all the, all these choices and all these things that I did, I was like, I don't care. And I ended up got, getting the part. And I was like, this is, uh, what? Yeah, like, what does this mean? Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the last job that I applied to that I actually got a call back from, um, I submitted a resume. They had a place that you could, like, upload a cover letter. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to do the resume. It's like, I don't have time to write this thing right now. I just mm-hmm. want to get this done. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. And they 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 called me back. Wow. I, I mean, I didn't ended up not getting the job, but it's like I of the all the jobs that I applied to, this is like the f- second one that I got a call back from. I was like, hmm. What does this mean? Yeah, and then and the the band that I I just recently joined. I mean, no offense to Tyler and Ann, but it you know like reaching the, the point of like fuck it doesn't necessarily have to at least for me doesn't isn't like a desperation sort of yeah thing. like, like this is terrible it. so who cares yeah it's more of it's like a for me it's a releasing of control and almost like a just a willingness to see what happens it's just like, like and how beautiful an imperfection is yeah it's just like it's like you know it's like sure it's like I'll give it a shot fuck mm-hmm. why not mm-hmm. you know the, the whole sort of like you know what's sure why we get one yeah we get one chance yeah, so if, like, the ways that the other times that the fuck it has worked out for me, um, I'm interested to see what that entails with the band, of, like, you know, just what happens out of that, because it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like... Something's gonna happen. Yeah. And most likely, with three great people, something good will happen. If you're putting good things out there, good things come back. Yeah. It's not like you're sitting there scheming. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the right mustache for scheming. Hypnotize us with all your music. Mind control. Um, so in, like, have your shifts been tied to any influence of other poets that you've read? Or, the, or like, have, has anything coincided? Or is there, like, do you have a, do you have a pantheon of, of poets that you always return to? That I'm comforted by, almost. Like, Brenda Shaughnessy is... She's my queen. I brought one of her books, her newest book. How do you, how do you spell it? Oh, right here. It's it's so she's half Japanese, half Irish. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you'll really like her. Just so um, just writes about the body and and Ooh. yeah, and writes things, puts words together that I never. Like, as separately, they're just words. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, you know, talking about, like, a moment and mm-hmm. then writing in a poem and it becomes something more. She just, like, puts words together that are incredible. And, and I don't know. And she writes very lyrically, like, um, long lines across the page, a lot of couplets. Um, it just reads so beautifully. And she's just the first poet I ever, that was recommended to me, that talked about her body, her sexuality. There's never... Um, she's not gendered at all so like you have no idea if you know if 
wow. Male, female, mm-hmm. unidentified, whatever. You just don't know. It's just people experiencing each other. Like a lot of like um, a lot of love and but love in a way you know it's so she writes about it so like unsentimentally that wow yeah i cannot that's that's really tough to do i know wow i can't um i cannot praise her enough she has four books and all four of them have been so great so that was kind of my first like oh i don't have to write Mm -hmm. in a form it's like the the giving you like the poets because i've encountered um Mary Oliver was kind of like this initially with me, and then... I hear so much. You just, you, Mary Oliver is just, like, so present in your work. Thank you. Yeah. I want to be her when I grow up. <laughs> you are well on your way. Um, and, like, I... As, as present as the... It's, like, as many and present as the, the problems that I have with Bukowski... And like the things that he believes and just kind of him as a person um i do tend to keep around his books um i've i think i've mentioned this before but i, I joke around that i read bukowski poems like people take shots at whiskey for courage because mm. it's like i guess i mean i don't know if this is the case with you and, and brenda but it's like the, the kind of permission to do it's like he does whatever the fuck he wants yes. and it's like that permission of like are the the like the re the reminding you that I can I can write however I want to write. There's no there's no rules for a poem. It's like there's no subject that's I can't touch. It's like the letting go thing. Yeah. Like letting go of this. Yeah. You know, these rules. Yeah. Was that was was she like that or is she like that for you? Yeah. Just the the sort of like, you can you can write about yourself. You can write about sensuality. You can write in a like whatever form or lack of form right. that you want. Don't have to have meter. Yeah. You know I'm so grateful I took like a Shakespeare class and that I learned like um some of the classic poets I'm, I'm really glad mm-hmm. but and I'm glad that I learned them first mm-hmm. so that I kind of like did like get this sense of sound and rhythm and like uh, alliteration mm-hmm. I do think that but now I remember one of your questions is like any poems you hate yes and I hate to say this but like I really don't like sonnets like I don't like them even though I know they're powerful and people are doing really cool things with them I think it's just form in general. I'm just like, mm-mm, we should be able to do whatever we want, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I know eventually I'll go back and appreciate them again. It's just like going through a phase. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, that's tough. I mean, it's. I think that there's... So there's a lot of things that I have, like... Like, I, I break it up between... I guess this is more compartmentalizing, but, like personal appreciation and then objective appreciation for mm-hmm. so like sonnets i'm also kind of in the camp that like objectively like shakespeare's sonnets objectively they did a lot of work and they introduced a hell of a lot of words to the english language and, and like he he touched on subjects that typically weren't written about and at least in like english english language mm-hmm. poetry back then or maybe they were but he just like he um popularized these things but on a personal level, like sonnets and most other form poems, like I don't, they don't do anything for me because it's usually, if you if you follow them super super strictly, usually it requires a lot of like linguistic gymnastics to get things to fit into the meter. Exactly. So and, if and, you don't make it work quite work, then yeah. it's like I don't I'm not I don't believe or um, 
I'm not in this tala. Right, yeah. It's like you. you get, like, um, I don't know if this happens to you or not, but whenever I read poems that are rhymed and I, like, however long it takes me to pick up the rhyme, if I pick it up, I'm immediately, like, I'm ejected from the poem. A little bit. Um, like, despite the fact that it could be a great poem, it's just, like, I'm not, I'm not present. I'm not, like, in it. Yeah. I'm just, like, I'm on the outside of it suddenly. Right. Um, I will say with spoken word, though, yes. I think it's, it's you know, a large part of spoken word is um, rhyme is what carries it. Mm-hmm. It's and part of the whole oral exactly. tradition. Exactly. Yeah. So in there, and, and I'm into it, especially when I'm watching someone perform, because it's right. so, yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's not. It's not just, I guess it's it, because when you have just the, like, the poem on the page, that's it. Yeah, yeah. You have, you have no performance, you have no vocalization of this thing it's just the words on the page yeah um like a like a play on a page mm-hmm. um oh, some right. plays like you read them and they are crazy fucking powerful some of them are like eh. like rosencrantz and guildenstern is a really tough play to get through reading it but seeing it perform mm-hmm. is like it's just there's like the performance adds this element that's missing this necessary thing that you don't get like a lot of Shakespeare plays are like that too it's like I've missed so many jokes reading a Shakespeare play and then you hear it you're like oh Uh, that's why this is fun I was like oh okay another penis joke yeah yeah (laughs) um yeah but like I I don't know I I think that a lot of the kind of like the traditional poems have probably what have what what has led people to the idea that poetry is this like super stuffy because you like a lot of them are so like they're they sound they're so poetically and like posy rich and written and you're mm-hmm. like i can't Ugh. yeah it's like too much frosting or yeah it's like you get something that's so rich and decadent you're like i can't i can't enjoy this yeah it's, i can get maybe a like a tiny bite of this and then i'm i'm done yeah um and I think a lot of people, if they were in counter poetry, um, like Bukowski or um, like uh, Mary Oliver or other people that are, or Tom Hannon, people that are a little more, or even Jane Kenyon that are like more, that use language more in the ways that people actually use yeah. language yeah. Um, with some surprises and stuff mm-hmm. thrown in, but it's much more um, accessible I think that's the I, typically that's what I hear is the, the biggest downfall of poetry is that people it's inaccessible right I people. don't know what it means yeah yeah and I have issue I take issue with that even if it's not in that you know for a certain form and people are like I, I don't read poetry because I I don't get it yeah and I'm like sometimes you really don't have to get it like, yeah you really can read it mm-hmm. and it's beautiful and it can evoke something inside you yeah the, 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 yeah the point and this is this is something that I've thought of is like the primary difference between fiction or like prose, like long, short or long form prose and poetry and mm. why I think nonfiction is a little closer to poetry than it is mm. to prose. Interesting. That like the point of prose is story. It's like you, it, the point is like what happens and like why did this happen? It's like it's plot. Yeah. Whereas with poetry, in my experience, um, it's more about so, if prose is the, the communication of what's happened, the um, poetry is the communication of how you felt because something happened. Um, it's, so, it's like you, you might get, like, even with narrative poems and stuff, you'll get the story, but the point isn't the story. It's 
like how this how you felt like how the poet felt or like what how you how this affected you um and i think nonfiction is a little bit closer to that because it's like you're telling these stories but these stories don't aren't necessarily like the point of this isn't like this thing happened it's like yeah. this it, like it happened but i was affected this in this mm -hmm. way and like the emotional truth is much more of at the center of of those things right and people can typically relate yes more mm -hmm. you know you're so right like with prose and fiction it's like people are in, are picking that up to like be taken somewhere else and like experience someone yeah. else whereas with poetry and memoir nonfiction, like you as humans we all go through these really sad things these really beautiful things mm -hmm. and so you, you can pick that up that oh that's you you made uh yes so this this might not pan out but at least as of right now this sounds good the, the distinction between poetry and prose is that with prose you read it to experience something else like somewhere else or somebody else or some other like bigger story um get out of yourself yeah it's like the, the story of the some other story mm -hmm. whereas with poetry you experience the story of yourself mm -hmm. which might be why like the maybe more of an underlying issue of why people don't want to read poetry is because they're guarded against it yeah it's like you like you at least for me i mean I, I, well not all poetry does this but the poems and the, the writers that i'm much more attracted to are the ones that like arrive in this kind of poetic moment it's mm -hmm. like something you arrive at like a poetic truth or like this something some you arrive somewhere and it's like there's this moment of like oh god um yeah and it's like you can't even though you're reading through it because of somebody else's experience like it draws out this thing in you that's like an adjacent um or akin feeling to whatever it is that they're feeling right. which is um, like what the whole like haiku does is like it's a you distill this experience down to um, like the trappings of what you experience or like what happened to make you experience this thing so that in the hopes that whoever reads it this will cause a like a similar stirring of feeling in them um, just about yanked on my headphones um, but it's not it's like it's they're not experiencing your feeling they're experiencing like you're you're drawing out that feeling in them if you're doing your job right yes yes <laughs> your poetic responsibility um, and that might it's like you know there's probably i mean in my experience poetry has a way to like kind of like satire it has a way to get down through the cracks or like the the ribs of things into like the center of stuff yes. to bring out these um Again, if you're doing your job right, like authentic, sincere, emotional responses or like reactions to stuff, um, sentimental bullshit can go fuck itself. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta you gotta earn those emotions. Yeah. Yes. Um, hmm. And I do really wish, like, think going back, I really do wish I could go back and read that classmate's oh. breakup poetry because mm -hmm. you know it might have been sentimental rubbish to be honest, but. It could have also been something that I really would have, at a different time or like now, mm -hmm. that I could be like, oh. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, poetry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my recent 
and this is a Tracy Diamond recommendation, Carrie Murphy. She kind of came at a pinnacle point for me in thesis. Ooh. She just, it's, I think you. She is your Jane Hirschfield. Is that, she came, did it, was it second semester for you or first semester? Um, a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. In, in the first semester, so in, in the first semester of the final year, I was, I had trouble writing I had trouble revising and writing some of my poems, and uh, some of the poems in *Come Thief*, as one especially, opened up one of the one of the poems I'd been struggling with for like the entire semester. And I was like, "It's like oh. I'm gonna cry." Yeah, and then in the um, so I typically I don't know I don't know why I keep addressing the microphone instead of you. Um, <laughs> whatever. Um, when I when I read collections of poetry, I'll typically start. Well, it kind of depends. I'll either read them um, like front to back, and then read them backwards, or I start backwards because mm. um, it's easy for whatever reason. It's easier for me to see how they're how it's laid out and like the the themes and all the stuff. Reading it backwards. Interesting. Um, <laughs> headphones get in the way. Um, so when I was laying out my collection. Uh, my manuscript. Yeah. I was having a lot of trouble trying to figure out like how curating. Th- yeah. Oh, I then, love it and hate it at the same time. Yeah, and it was it took it was a huge process of like I, I had a sense that like one like a I, well, at least I knew what the two ending poems were going to be, and then I had I thought that one poem was going to be in the beginning, and then it turned out that that was in the middle. Mm. Um, and it was this weird sort of like as you shift things, it's the the best way I can describe it. Um, do you remember? the magic school bus episode in which they are washing some person's car i think it was like a pop star or like country star's car and she had a sugar like crystal as her uh, hood ornament i want to i don't remember it okay i'm so sad i don't i'm sorry well they end up like getting water like she tells them explicitly not to get the hood ornament wet okay. and they get water on it and it gets washed like into the bucket, and they're like, "Oh shit, we like we broke this thing." So they go into the bucket, and they start like getting the the water molecules or like whatever molecules to adhere to each other, um, so that the sh- like and then like unadhere to the sugar, and then so that they get like the sugar like molecules like the base for it to start lining up, and then like as they get the, enough water out of it, the sugar molecules like reassemble themselves. Oh, so it was a science episode, basically. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm, like, but, having trouble being... What are sugar molecules? Um, <laughs> but, so, in in the the process of, of laying out the manuscript, it was one of those moments where it's like, I just I had... See. Like, I shifted things around enough. Mm. It moved things around, and then it sort of, like, started coming together on its own. Mm-hmm. But reading through uh, Come Thief and getting the sense of, like, how it arcs gave me kind of a sense of, like, what I should be looking for in mine, or at least to be enough awareness that when it actually, like, the the arc of it showed up, I was like, oh, that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. And then once I knew that, then it was just a matter of getting things to fit what, like, what the trajectory Such a was. eureka. Yeah, 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 yeah. Once you have a pinnacle point, I get it. Did yours, I'm assuming that you had a moment of, like... This, this was my biggest struggle, because I, I felt like I had a good chunk full of poems by the end of February, mm-hmm. which was ahead of a lot of my classmates, but getting that order down, and there was <laughs> definitely a workshop, my group, my beautiful, wonderful group of Ron, <laughs> Sylvia, and Andrew, I'm sure remember when I just broke 
down. And it was because it was like, it was the fifth time I'd rearranged things and people were still like, no. Mm -hmm. Nope, 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 nope. And I was like, stop! <laughs> Just let me make this mistake! They're like, no, we're not going to. Because they're beautiful angels. Um, it took me forever. I had... I, I just, like I said, when I have an idea, mm -hmm. it's hard for me. You don't want to be, yeah. I don't want to be flexible. I'm, I'm like, no, I, it's good. I've got this. Maybe I'll regret it later, but this is what I want right now. Mm -hmm. And it's such a, it was such a great growth for me to be like, no, you got to play around with it for a little while, Mary. Yeah. you got to like put, you're putting a lot of time and sweat and tears and heart and money into this thing. So you need to like. Was was there a moment where it finally like it clicked, or was it just like you just rearranged it enough, and then there was this moment of like, oh, this is it. There were like clicks, okay. but not like a big click. Like it sounds like you had. Mm -hmm. it, I think the things like fit, like I'd figure something out, but then something else would go terribly wrong. Mm -hmm. So it was like a lot of fixing and rearranging, and to the point that I was so exhausted when I finally got there that I didn't feel like I'd made a big click. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I'm still satisfied, but it wasn't like a. And, and I know those eureka moments you're talking about, and it happened with other things of my writing, or like just writing about myself was kind of a eureka moment when I was like, I can insert myself in here. Mm -hmm. I'm allowed in this book. Yeah. What? <laughs> you know? Because I was so focused on doing this book about strangers, like all about strangers. Uh... And that was really a roadblock for me in January, or like Christmas or winter break. And then all of a sudden, I think I wrote a poem and I posted it to my blog and a lot of positive feedback. And I was like, well, I can, I can keep writing this. And then I started writing these command poems, which are the kind of yeah, like yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. the section breakers. Um, and those just like flew out of me. I was thinking the other day, I was like, I should sit down and write another one of those. <laughs> but they were flying out of me. So writing, I had a lot of great eureka moments. The arranging, there was never, it was kind of like, Finally, this poem. I know this poem belongs here. Finally. Yeah. But I was just like so like exhausted and disgusted. And I was like, get out of my face now. <laughs> now mm -hmm. that I figured it out, I'm done. Yeah. You know? It was really, for, the, for me, the process was a crazy learning experience. Because I like, I think that I do a lot of things that are beneficial to myself without realizing that I'm doing them. So like my poems will sometimes have allusions to things or like, um, like a certain balance or a certain um, like book-ended quality that I don't I'm not aware, not aware of, of when I'm writing so it. It's just sort of like I don't know it's, if it's just because I've internalized I've read enough that I can kind of internalize it in my I have a good sense of like what my like the internal rhythm or like the yeah. like the sound stuff what I like what my voice is. It's so beautiful um, and such a thing to be proud of or like yeah it's it means you're an artist yeah and it's I it's taken me a, a fair amount of time to figure out what my voice is and there's still a little like roughage but I think it's like I have a pretty good sense of it mm -hmm. so I don't know if it's because of that or if, if whatever but um, when I was right when I was um, arranging the poems in the manuscript I had like once I finally had the kind of eureka moment um, like looking back on it it was one of those like realizations like oh shit I was doing this and like not really realizing that this is kind of the way that it was happening. So the the first chunk of the book um, are poems that are more or less like sad and depressive and isolated and disconnected from stuff. Um, that's kind of how like the place that the book starts. And then towards the middle, there's a moment of um, like as it gets closer to the middle, there are more and more moments of 
being present and opening up and like noticing things and then the end of the book is these more kind of like some of them are still sad um but they're much more connected and at least at peace mm-hmm. like the ones at the beginning aren't at peace at all there's a lot of like internal restlessness and then at the end they're they're much more at at least some sort of like yeah like some sort of equilibrium of and realizing that i was like oh shit this is like this is the arc and there's there's one poem in the middle um that it was i was having like a really difficult time placing because i knew that it like all the other ones were kind of filling up and i was like this has to be somewhere around here and then i read through it a couple times and i was like oh if i switch like the last stanza and the first stanza it changes the flow and it's like it becomes it, instead of this like starting out as kind of an open poem and closing down it starts as a closed poem and kind of opens up and it's like and that's that was the avenue of the poems going into the rest of the book yeah and yeah. I was like Ugh. oh and that was kind of like the fulcrum or like the linchpin of it and like right after that one there was the um the poem that the title came from the poem that contained the line that the title came from and is like the first moment of like this openness and connection to the world um you know like and to myself and like the kind of bridging myself to the world and i was like oh this like this works but also looking back on it and like the more like the later poems in the collection um the, the poems that come towards the later the collections are ones that were written a little bit later and then the earlier ones are written earlier with the exception of one of them i think um so it was neat to see that's like actually tracking kind of a chronological progression of my own of like oh i'm actually like growing as a person this is the book weird. is showing yeah it. yeah oh yeah it's great that like i know people have different ways of writing books and timelines and such but it, i think being in a program like this really lends itself to insert this growth in, in the book that you produce as your final project. Yeah. I guess that's kind of an obvious thing and <laughs> that lots of people do that with their books. But you see it in a different way, particularly because you're getting workshopped every week by peers. Yeah. Who point things like out. Like it can't it. not be about your growth. Of, exactly. Like, even if it's not about your growth, it's still like that's in there somewhere. Right. It has to be. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Although it's neat that you sprinkle um like the the stranger poems and the i poems kind of throughout that it's not like a this is about the strangers this is about me but it's this like they flow kind of into each other that's what i eventually got there because i definitely Mm. wanted a section in okay i definitely wanted like strangers first and then end on me (laughs) but um and that was a little help from my group but also just a little help from myself that i was like that I just started rearranging. I was like, well, what if I put the, you know, poem about my heart, like, next to this poem about the stranger? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel, for me, it gave it, like, the, a really coherent sense of, um, like, presentness and groundedness. It's like you're noticing, in it, like, a coherence of, like, your ability to notice and see things. Because mm-hmm. you're noticing all these things about everybody else, mm-hmm. and then you're noticing all these things about yourself. So there's this level of, like, the the observation in the circumspectness that you have with things on the outside you have on the inside and all of that's reflect like the fact that you are not only like writing poems but writing poems that are this circumspect like it it keeps all of that as like a unit to get as a as a like hey all of this works and like 
of course she would see these things because she's writing these poems about these things. And, and it takes, oh, that's so, I'm so glad you say that. It's kind of like an orb of swirling colors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like my internal landscape. Yep, put frosting and mix them both. <laughs> uh, that's great. I'm going to obviously listen to this podcast and write everything <laughs> you just said down and sell my book <laughs> to a few more people. Yeah. If you want, if you want a blurb, I could, I could oh, I dic- or, um, transcribe. I'm going to put you. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, Carrie Murphy's really great is that, though. Is that called Fat Diaries? Fat Daisies. Fat Daisies. Mm-hmm. That was close. Um, that's a really that's a pleasant image. That's a re- that's a very summer image yeah. for me. Oh, it's uh, Martha Coop Jean, I think. Before I say it. it's Big Lux. Oh okay. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, she's so uh, unapologetic. Ooh. And she, like one of her lines is, "I refuse to hate my body." And mm, just, yeah, I definitely see this being in Tracy's wheelhouse. Yeah. So I, t- speaking of her, I told her on Wednesday at the end of her uh, uh, lyric class that you, that she and you, or you and she, however that actually grammars out, um, should go on a like poetry reading tour. Oh, you think so? Like reading, reading after reading your stuff, it feels like um, of the people that I've read from the program, y'all would fit super, super, super well oh, together. That's such a compliment to me, <laughs> right? Like you're complimenting, no, you're complimenting, yeah, you're complimenting me by saying that I'd be a good match with Tracy. That's yes. how I mean it. Yes. <laughs> but I'm honored. <laughs> I didn't want to be like, oh, you're totally complimenting Tracy by saying that. <laughs> no, no, no. That would be amazing. And I've always, I mean, I had my, in Steve's workshop when I started writing about strangers, it was, there were so many great people in that class. But Amanda and Tracy, who I'd always been, Amanda McCormick and Tracy mm-hmm. Diamond, who I'd always been kind of scared of because I was just like... <laughs> You know, just like yeah. those girls. Um, and having a class with them was awesome. They're just both so talented. Yeah. Yes. What's, what's the other book? Okay, so like Water for Chocolate, I was going to talk a little bit about uh, mystical okay. realism. Okay. Or, is it magical realism or mystical realism? Magical realism. That is... Um, Laura Esquivel. I highly recommend it. Her and Toni Morrison, and Toni Morrison's Beloved, the way that you can be one place on the page and then five lines down, you're in some place, just the transitions are Mm -hmm. so amazing. That's just been something I'm in awe of, and I would love to be able to do that in my poetry. I think it's something that my my poetry probably will never be just because that's not my voice, Mm -hmm. but like it's something always on my periphery feeding into me while I'm writing because mm-hmm. I just think that's so beautiful to like be able to have magic in this really or magic is lack of a better word yeah um, in a very real setting a real place or tragedy or sadness mm-hmm. um, it's it's like I don't know it just makes me writing makes me so happy and hearing other people write like that so this is this is a question that I didn't think about until the podcast with Stephen. Um, but do you have fun when you write? Like, mm-hmm. is it an enjoyable process for you? 
Yes. Okay. I mean, there are definitely poems when I'm so frustrated because I want it to be a poem. Right. And then I'm like, you're never yeah. going to pan out. And that makes me sad because, you know, you do spend some time and energy on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part... Like, you get... you the, the act of writing a poem or writing in general brings you... Fills you with joy. Joy. More or less. Yes. Okay. You too? I don't know. Oh, okay. Why do you... Why do you write poetry? Um... Because I, I don't think that I could not write it. Mm. Um, it's, Have you re- wrote all your life? No. Um, it's It's been a, like a weird trajectory. I, I started writing like song lyrics to um, like song. So I, this may have been around the same time, but I want to say that I, my first music, I mean, my first artistic medium was music. Um, I think that that happened first. And then um, I started writing like lyrics to bad like pop punk songs when I was younger. And like coming like having the the music in like the beat in my head, but not being able to produce that. So just writing the lyrics and then just using that as like the anchor for the music that was hanging out in my head. That's so cool. Um, yeah, and then I guess it was like eighth eighth grade, and then into high school was when it, I first really started like like started writing but um all of that was flavored by my christian faith um so it was a lot of like poems that heavily featured god and like these things that were like that fit within the kind of like christian faith Mm -hmm. like terminology or you know like um subject matter and whatever um and then it started shifting kind of in like I guess late high school where I started writing things like not exclusively about Christianity but that was still like predominantly what I wrote mm-hmm. um, and then towards the end of undergrad as I like was beginning to move away from and then finally severed my ties with Christianity um, I had some moments of like super super deep fear of whether or not my poetry was going to stick around because I like up until then I viewed it as like a gift from God mm-hmm. quote unquote mm-hmm. um, that you know like all the inspiration or whatever came from him. So I was like, well, if I'm not a Christian anymore, am I still, like, am I still... Ooh, what an identity. Yeah, it was, that was a really scary, at least for my writing, a really scary couple of months. Because, like, I started out college as a music major, and then I, after a year, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, the only other thing that I got in my, my wheelhouse is writing. So at the end of that, I was like, well, shit, if I don't... If I'm not a Christian anymore, I can't write. Like, what? What am I? I don't, what am I gonna do? And then um, I was hanging out at my first apartment in Lafayette um, on the balcony, and it was like a summer night. No, I guess it was like a uh, maybe like late spring or like early spring night, and um, or I don't know, around then, and uh, AC kicked on, like a, one of the units kicked on, and. I, saw, I just had like a flash like the opening lines to a poem and I wrote it out and I was like oh. it's still here it's like, it's, it's like it had nothing to do with it I was like uh, oh my god and that did that just further justify splitting from yeah or at least it, it like that for me was kind of a um, a huge comfort in leaving to know that it's like I still because like even with my music stuff too um I, I viewed all of like all of my artistic abilities as 
things that came directly from God. Mm-hmm. So in leaving Christianity and like severing my relationship with God, I was like, I don't know how I like what's going to happen with mm-hmm. this. So that the fact that the poetry still like stuck around and then the music stuck around too was a huge comfort in knowing that it's like I like not like not evidence that I made the right decision, but at least the comfort in like you know I'm not like I'm I'm alone in this right now, but I still it's like I have my ways to like connect and stuff. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's just it's the way that I think and the way that I kind of process stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know if I would ever I don't know if I've ever enjoyed like writing a poem. Do you ever feel? I know we kind of touched on this earlier, but like oh, I'm gonna write a poem about this, and does that exhilarate you, or is it usually like? Mm. Because I know, for instance, the B poem, like you said, it was like the next day you realized that was going to be a poem. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it's, it's, I think because the, the process tends to take such a long time and like things have to gestate a while mm-hmm. in the unconscious that it's like the, like if there's any thrill, it's like super, super short lived. And then it's just like when it comes up, it's just this sort of like, okay, well, I'd, like I need to get this out of my head mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think it's like if I didn't if I didn't or couldn't write poetry, I think that I would um might develop some like emotional disorders that it's like it's it's like this thing that has the like it's like a um I don't know, like a bud or something, like something just kinda like pops out mm-hmm. and you know, it's like it's just if you stop it it's gonna like affect other things and yeah. it just sort of like mm-hmm. just sort of comes out and I'm like yeah, it's like, okay, well, like, that's out of me. And yeah. Then, and, like, music was, um, like, the, I think the last time music, like, playing music was fun was some of the, like, when I used to play with my brother. And that was, that's been a, one of the, um, at least a, immediate beneficial things of being in the band. It's like, I have a lot of fun playing with Tyler. And, yeah. and um, like, yesterday, Tyler and I got together because we were working on a bridge for one of our songs. And... Like at the end of the practice, we decided to play one of our other songs super fucking slow and really crazy fast, and we're la- like we stopped a couple of times and messed up because we were laughing so hard and just Aww. like the ridiculousness of this one kind of chill out song doing like playing it super fucking fast and then so slow that we lose the beat because we're like we don't know where the hell we are. But it's like it was it's fun and that's it's a I don't know like typically when when I'm doing music. Um, it's not, I don't know, it's like the, the subject matter is maybe not like super down, but it's a little, it's like more down, mm-hmm. it's a little down of neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know, it's just that that's not something that typically, like, is not a thought of me that's like, is this fun or not? It's just, it's like, there's this thing in me that wants to come out, and it's like, I'm going to facilitate, like, I'm going to open as, all the doors that I can and just mm-hmm. let it. You sound like someone I'd want to be sitting next to, like, on a plane. <laughs> just, like, super, you're just so calm. I love it. I knew as soon as I walked into this apartment, your energy is very... Thank you. Yeah, it's great. I love people who process things. And I, I because I, I like the way I do things and that I can be very impulsive, but I am so balanced out by people who who are not as impulsive. Yeah, and I'm, <laughs> I'm super appreciative of people that are more... Um, that spike more on like the energy or the emotional stuff mm. because it takes me like it brings me out of the kind of just like 
not humdrum, but, you know, like, even keelness can be at times kind of boring. Because yeah. it's like, it's just, it's flat. It's like, it doesn't change. Right. Um, it's like, it's comforting. It can be grounding, but it's also sort of like, <laughs> it's like, a ro- like a rock. A rock's not super, I mean, unless it's a geode or something, a rock's not super exciting unless somebody picks it up and, like, throws it or knocks it mm. down a hill. It's like, then there's energy and shit suddenly happening to it. Great analogies today. <laughs> 100p. <laughs> Um, okay, so we touched a little on this, and this will be maybe my last round of questions. Um, you said that there is like, like a, a uh, category of poems that you hate, but is there a singular poem within that category? I was trying to think, and I don't, I, I don't know if I have. I mean, I don't like, uh, can I compare my love? Oh. Just because it's so, people bring that example up all the time. And so it's probably just because I've read it so many times that I'm over mm. it. Okay. I don't know if I'd say, like, hate is a strong word for yeah. me. Okay. I too much appreciate people actually putting something on a page to hate it. Okay. I'm sure there's some, like, you know, any poem with racist or sexist or some terrible, yeah. I would hate that poem. <laughs> but I thankfully haven't read anything like that. I don't feel like... I don't know. I don't I haven't. I have not really encountered a whole lot of like, at least like overtly racist poems. I'd like to think that most poets. Yeah, I mean, like some Bukowskis are like misogynistic, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. That's I. I would love. It would be really interesting to like do a paper or like an article on mm-hmm. like racist poems because I'm sure that like especially during. Like the early 1800s, like there had to have been. Oh sure, I mean this whole conversation about um, the national anthem, oh. you know, which started out as a poem. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's got to be more. I don't oh, know. With slavery. And like maybe they've just been kind of like scrubbed out of the, like the canon, mm-hmm. because they're like, I don't know, like thanks to progressive liberal educators. Mm-hmm. They're just like, yeah, let's not um, immortalize this. <laughs> Which now it's kind of like we're kind of going back to maybe we, sh- you know, I think things like that should be on the table so we can know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like what not to do and how not to write. Although I would like to imagine that any any overtly racist poem that's out there is just a really crappy poem. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was there was the one. Um, I think it was in the, the uh, New York Times. No, the New Yorker. Um, that was the poem about, um, like, the speaker lamenting all these different, um, like, provinces of China for, like, the, the different food. Did you oh, did you encounter no. that? Oh, I would oh, okay. love to read that. Um, I'll see. That came up in um, Alan's podcast, but I'll see if I can find it again. But it's essentially like, uh, oh, let me write that down. Speed poem. But it was this, like... I think it was a like a white poet writing about how bad like back in my day it was just Chinese food and wasn't like you know like food from this province and food from this province and and there was a huge like immediate response very visceral response to a lot of especially like Asian American poets who yeah. were writing like in response to it was like oh you you messed up yeah <laughs> um, sure of course of course someone was like. I only like this kind of Chinese food. Yeah. <laughs> but even, like, even if it's supposed to be tongue-in-cheek, it's like, that's a, I don't know, like, that's a real misstep of, like, yeah, that's, like, a, a 
like almost Archie Bunker level of like, like why would you joke about right. this? Oh, it's so interesting you bring this up because I just had the longest conversation about stand up com- comedy last Stand up commodities. Stand up commodities. <laughs> <laughs> stand. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, that write, could be the name of a business. I'm going to write that down. Stand up commodities. I feel like that would be like the joke. Um, do you watch Bob Bob's Burgers? I do. You know how in uh, every intro, the the store to the right of the restaurant is named something yes, different? Yes. I feel like that would be a good... Stand-up commodities. Yeah. That's perfect! Right next to Bob's Burgers. But the whole issue of... Well, and also it ties into the University of Chicago, like the trigger warnings and oh, whether yeah, we should gonna, be yeah. more sensitive to audiences. And, you know, his stance, who I was talking to, was very... And I, I understand free speech like mm-hmm. if you don't like it don't be there right i think there are some things or issues that perhaps we should just not like rape jokes yeah i don't i don't know if i don't think they're funny yeah and i think a lot of people don't think they're funny and i think you know i've read a lot about this and i'm probably just like kind of regurgitating what other people have said but it's is it worth it like who thinks that's funny yeah I don't know. I, I can... I think the only... Maybe the only instance that... Like that... Something like that could be funny is if it was someone who had been... Like a rape survivor who made the joke as a way to like reclaim power, remove power from the situation to give it back to themselves. Just processing it. Yes, um, sure. Like that I could see would be maybe... Like maybe the only... Because it's like that's... That's um, what comedy is about. Right, yeah. It's like you're you're punching like the punching up instead of punching down. Yes. Um, I just learned that. Yeah, yeah I, I uh, Anthony brought that up. Um, like we were, God, this was like years ago when we were talking about it. But like the the whole, like how like satire and things that are um, like when you're poking fun at things, it's um, like go for the people that are in like the people that are in power that are like not towards the victims and yes. like not that you're putting anybody down but you're using it to draw attention to like injustices and stuff yeah 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 um, yep. that's really all because that like to be said. i feel like a lot of um like black comedians in like the 70s and 80s um used like you know commented on like the racism and like the prejudice that they encountered mm-hmm. um you know, it's like and it, they it was observational stuff, but drawn out of their own experiences, mm-hmm. and it was a way to like knock the the wind out of the stuff that was happening around them. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't. I it's don't know. The famous example of Tosh Point oh, which to be clear, I've I haven't watched the actual video. I've just read about it and uh-huh. um, him making rape jokes and one being like, I don't think that's funny, and then him being like, wouldn't it be funny if a bunch of people men raped her right now yeah like that's the classic example and i'm sure there's other examples so that's a point where he's he's it seems like he's targeting victims right tosh point out yeah. if you've been sexually assaulted like of course my heart's with you like i yeah. hope that didn't happen to you but that's an example of like when i don't think it's funny yeah he's... and that was like kind of related to the safe space thing tyler and i went on a like a hike walk uh, like maybe a month ago um same tyler who i'm in a band with um, who may eventually be on this podcast. So, Tyler, if you're listening, prepare yourself. The most amazing oh. Tyler out there. <laughs> the most amazing Tyler I know. Um, but we were talking about how, like, um, like if you have, like, a women-only space, um, and the, 
like if trans women like um, male to female transition or like uh, so like if you're if you're going towards the the female side of the spectrum mm-hmm. um, like would you or not that would not that we were debating of would you or would you not be allowed in there but the fact that there are like women and feminists who are in like who've created these spaces who are debating whether or not mm-hmm. like trans women are allowed in this space mm-hmm. or if um, male to fe- or female to male transition mm-hmm. it's like if they are allowed in this like you know what is what's the definition of like women only right um, and the sort of like you know talking about things that you might not have any experience like with the Tosh um, point oh, um, you know like making these jokes about rape it's like you are um, like as a man like making these jokes about rape which is not doing anything to add it to add or challenge the conversation about rape it's right. like you're almost perpetuating these these stereotypes or these standards of like part you're perpetuating the culture instead of um it like somebody else coming at it and subverting it and like really like that using the the, the position that they have to like um, point at it yeah like if you're if you're making a rape joke like pointing fun and like destroying um the brock guy who just i think just got released from prison it's like i feel like that would be an appropriate use of humor an appropriate mm-hmm. use of the like the position that you have to point out like to the injustice about that. Up that is. Yeah. And using, you know, maybe like somehow if you're if you're talented and enjoyed enough of a comedian to like craft that situation into something that could turn into like a bit. Yeah. Because um, like Eddie Izzard, I've I've watched a lot of his his specials and it's like there are moments that he will just like rant like when he's talking about the Nazis like he will rant about them. Um, and it's not necessarily funny, but it's like it's true and it's entertaining because mm-hmm. like he brings up a lot of salient points mm-hmm. and the fact that he's in drag and has nicer legs than some of the the women friends that i know it's like that's i mean like the entirety of it is there's an absurdness to it that yeah. i can appreciate sure. but um i need to check him out oh my god i'll send i'll send you some links okay yeah um i'll just write I'll, uh, eddie izzard you say yeah um he does all of his performances in um drag that's awesome but so it, it, he has a he does a bit about like what it's like if it's women's clothes or it's like no because it's his clothes you know the whole thing mm, but anyway he has yeah. phenomenal legs mm. or he did in his like in the nineties but anyway um, yeah so we were like I don't I don't know I don't know and like with the like the safe spaces or whatever I think that there's like on the one hand it's like yeah you don't want to insulate people against stuff that they're going to deal with but on the other hand you know it's like if you want a space for women or like the LGBT community to get together and talk about stuff that's like important and um, like present in their communities in a place that they can they feel like they have a voice or wouldn't be attacked or shouted down by anybody it's mm-hmm. like I think I feel like that's important that's legit, yeah I don't I don't know maybe I'm being oversimplistic but I just don't think it's that hard for a professor at the beginning of a class to be like hey we're talking about this yeah if this is gonna be tough you know feel free to step out yeah we can talk about it later yeah or like you know if, if there's a um, like a if, if you if we, this is something that we should talk about one-on-one so you can get the information but if you don't like if this is like traumatic for you like right. In a, um, I mean, I don't know if this is tantamount to the same thing or not, but in one of my classes in undergrad, we were doing a 
um, major figures in film. And one of the people that we were going to study is Takashi Miike, who is like a hyper, he, he directs hyper, hyper violent films. Um, and she was like, you know, if you, if you can't handle that, you know, you probably shouldn't be in this class because we're going to go there and we're going to deal with this stuff. And, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like it's, I mean, I ended up passing out in that class because of one of his, one of his films, but that's, that's another story. Um, but I feel like, you know, maybe maybe it's a dual responsibility thing and like having each other's backs. Yeah, and like the fact that um like going back to uh stand up commodities, um the fact that like school is viewed like education is viewed as a transaction and more of like a business right. transaction than like just a place of learning. So it seems that more and more now the the onus of responsibility is on the teacher to give the student everything that they need to succeed. Mm -hmm. Whereas it should be, you know, it's like, it's not, it's not just the teacher's responsibility. It's not just the student's responsibility. It's both. It's like, you know, maybe the teacher's like, we're going to talk about these things. We're going to do it in a way that's respectful and not, you know, insulting or victimizing of people of, you know, like not, not attacking of, of victims, but it's like, maybe it's the student's responsibility to be like, you know, I don't, can I handle this mm -hmm. or not? Or, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, if in the event that they think that they can and they can't have like an out or something and just be like, you know, I, I will, you know, yeah, and I if, don't, I don't know. Well, right. And if, you know, trauma, if, if a student's traumatized or has to step out, maybe later on down the road, coming back to that class yeah. or that professor or whatever, a teacher and saying, talking about it or saying, giving alternatives of learning. I mean, that's a lot of responsibility for a student, but right, yeah. he's been through something. Yeah. But you know, I just, it comes all down to the flipping, again, maybe oversimplistic, but like we're not people living in a nation or a country. We're humans living on an earth. Yeah. And like the, our biggest responsibility is to take care of each other. So I don't understand why so many people are, are like up in arms about we shouldn't have to like. It's just, it sounds like laziness to me, honestly. It's just yeah. people who just want to like mm -hmm. not change. Yeah. I, I, I think that that plays a, a huge part of it. And, like, the, um, even with, like, the, the whole, like, bathroom, you know, like, the, the transgender bathroom ideas of, like, you know, we don't, we don't want to have to change our idea or our understanding of what gender is because, you know, like, we never had to in the last 40 years. It's like, well, yeah, because, like, people, these people have been, um, like, mistreated, yeah, and yeah. oppressed for the last, you know, like, however long they've been in existence or we've been in existence, um, and you know it's like and like the, the whole i don't know if it's like possibly related to this too that um you know like the idea that like rapes are, are a more common occurrence or like police brutality brutality is like it's now more rampant than it was and it's like well no it's just more people are talking it's like this is the same as it's always been it's just more people are talking about it now and i am definitely one of those people who's been woke woken yeah you know mm -hmm. because i oh, was yeah. the same thing like i remember being like wow like all of a sudden police are really bad and then a friend was like no they've, they've been bad this whole time yeah you just haven't been in the environment where it's talked about yeah like you're you're part of the society like i, I guess that that's like privilege yeah. it's like you, you were you're part of a society that doesn't have to deal with that so you've never needed or um had the yeah I guess I had the necessity to like learn that this is what's what's going on and come 
face to face with it. Yeah. And like then start yeah. trying to wake other people up. Yeah, because like I've, I mean, I've not. So I've I've had uh, really unsavory interactions with cops before. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing that I would ever put my life in danger, but definitely it's like you know a, abuse of power situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that occurred to me who was ostensibly like a white cis male who was like what like the society has been essentially built and groomed for mm-hmm. like you know i can't i mean i can't imagine because i've, I've seen you know like a video clips of it and i've heard you know like I've, i know people have talked about it but it's like you know i i can't imagine the type of brutality and the type of just experience that other people have encountered with it's like if if i'm quote-unquote, like, on the safe aspect of this thing or the safe part of the spectrum have had this type of interaction Still with cops. Still right? Yeah, it's like that I, That has to be to the nth degree. Um, and that's, I mean, like, I definitely am a lot more woke now than I was, like, when I was in Lafayette and when I first got to Baltimore. But even, even then, it's like I started seeing it, and I think that, it's like, it's, I don't know. I, I keep coming... I come back to like a debate within myself of am I more angry with people that don't like who are not aware and don't see these things or the people who are aware of it but don't do anything I think that I'm I'm more angry with the people who are aware and don't do anything because yeah. um, like the people who are not aware it's like at least it's like I don't I don't know they both suck <laughs> People really suck. Yeah. Like, just in general, sucky situation. Yeah. But, yeah, that's a good... I'm going to have start having that internal debate in my head now, too. I know I should be doing more. Yeah. I'm still... I just know I need, need to do more. Yeah. I'm still working, I guess. <laughs> You're still in the throes of sleep. Yes. Yeah. Well, on that on that uplifting note, <laughs> um, people suck. Yeah, so we we are well over two hours. Um, Is it usually two hours? It they kind of vary. Some people I don't know. Like the more, well, no, whatever. I'm I'm dedicated to being honest on this. On some of the some of the conversations, like the more more tangential ones, seem to seem to be a little bit longer. Because mm-hmm. um, so. the ones that don't. I don't know. It's not that there's necessarily a lack of engagement, but there's like maybe like the something's it's like it's not not fully all, all the gears are not fully connected. Um, seemed to to be a little bit shorter because it's I'm I rely more heavily on the questions to kind of move the conversation along mm-hmm. instead of things that just kind of like spiral out and kind of go where they go naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so. As this is human interaction. Yes. Um, as is customary when I end my podcasts, um, I ask my guests if they have anything to ask me. So, Mary, anything you want to ask me? Oh, wow. I feel like we've had a good back and forth. Yeah. And this is like, for this, the anything you want to ask me is like, anything's on the board. Whatever, okay. whatever you want to, if there's anything that you have ever died to, have been dying to know about me. Or what I think about something. Or if there's something impulsively that you want to know. I've learned so many wonderful things about you today. <laughs> you're quite... You, I mean, on, upon first interaction, you're very mysterious. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Yeah. For sure. 
You're one of the, I'm, I'm just so like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> I pounce, I've used this word so many times, but I pounce on people and I need to check myself sometimes. Why? Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I imagine that part of the mysteriousness is the, um, extreme introversion mm-hmm. that I, I'm, uh, afflicted with for lack of a better term. Um, well, you just, you get most, a lot of energy from being by yourself. Yes. And yeah. it's, it's really, it's incredibly difficult for me to, to, approach somebody and start a conversation mm-hmm. if they if they talk which i guess is for me is the difference between a relative introversion and shyness mm-hmm. like if somebody starts talking to me i will i can talk Chatting. and talk and Chatting. talk mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but it's only upon like people approaching me yeah um so i'm i'm appreciative of people who pounce because without them i would not have like anthony the reason that we're friends is because, like, the, the first night... He's very pouncy in the yeah, best way. Yeah, it's like he just he came up way. to me and started talking. I was yeah. like, okay, cool. I really appreciate and, it. And he's one of those people who, like, brings other people together. Yep. He's a good he's a good hub per- person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, like, when, you, when I saw that question, favorite poem, least favorite poem, I was curious to know what your... If, I kind of want to stay on poetry, if you don't mind. No, not at all. I mean, that's the, that's the whole topic of the theme of the podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> so start with least favorite. Oh, geez. Um, well, I have my kind of old standby. Well, so most most poems, if I don't like them, or most poets, if I don't like them, I tend to kind of just like banish them from my like they don't they don't exist to me anymore <laughs> it's like oops. yeah um, you're dead to me yeah pretty much and a lot of like if if it's i don't know like if it's a poem that i have not enjoyed or like something that i've not enjoyed um i might retain the knowledge of like oh, i didn't enjoy that but i'm not gonna like continue to, do, to dwell or like to cultivate the, like oh i fucking hated that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah, the only the only one that I'm bitter about, um, and I'm consistently bitter about, and I've brought it up many many times on this podcast, is uh, T. S. Eliot's "The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock." Oh, okay. I I'm a fan of the poem until the last like the last stanza and the last couplet. It should end, I think. You're gonna have to remind me. Actually, I can grab it. Yeah, let's grab it. Um, and then in the process, I'll grab. One of my favorite poems. Okay. Um, this is typically the... Well, I don't know. Probably won't do it here. But... Okay. So, typically, if, when I want to show somebody a poem, which I'm sure that I've mentioned this a couple times on, on the podcast as well, um, I will turn to Mary Oliver's Orion. Um, but let's see if I can find love song. Did you grab him from this shelf? Yes. <laughs> I love your categorized shelves. Um, where are you? Not minor poems. Uh, ah, wow. It's actually the first first poem in this collection um yeah the, the reason i i have this because it was given to me by um a high school teacher who was my favorite high school teacher 
So I'm the book, the physical book itself has some sentimental value, but the poems in the book. Um, Tell us some of you about Elliot. Okay, so actually, it's the last, it's the last two stanzas that I don't, that I hate. Okay. Um, and I, I know the. I know the, the six lines preceding that, just because I've memorized it. Um, but they go, I would do this by memory, and then I would read the last, last six lines. Um, I grow old. I grow old. I should wear the bottoms of my trousers rolled. Should I part my hair behind? Do I dare to eat a peach? I will wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. I have heard the mermaids singing each to each. I do not think they will sing to me. Which, for me, is where it should end. But it goes on for another six lines that read, I have seen them riding seaward on the waves, combing the white hair of the waves blown back when the wind blows the water white and black. We have lingered in the chambers of the sea by sea girls wreathed in seaweed red and brown till human voices wake us and we drown. Yeah. Too much expository for me. Yeah, the mermaids. Right? Yeah. Is the rest of the poem have a lot about mermaids in it? Um, I would have to read it. Okay, that's too much mermaid. Yeah. Because for me, like the whole the whole idea of the poem for me is like this this person like growing older and like being disconnected and being kind of like dissatisfied yeah. with his life and like being constantly like on the other side of of like life and things that are happening mm-hmm. which um is apparent but also heavily like there's it's implied and it's more um it's less in your face with like when he's like you know I've I've I should wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach I've heard the mermaids singing each to each I do not think they will sing with to me. That whole it's like that's to me that's the essence of this poem. Mm-hmm. He's con- like he's aware of that there's this, this magic and there's this something else that's out there, but he cannot connect to it. And that's the the uh, great tragedy of the poem is that he's separate from it and mm-hmm. he, he has no connection to it. Yeah. Whereas the rest of it just it feels like it's it speaks too much to the to the themes and the ideas in the poem and it's like it's too much like this is a, this is what this poem's about right here mm-hmm. and it's like i don't i don't want to be told i want to do some work yeah yeah don't flush it out so not the entire poem that i hate but the last six lines of that poem that's that super I hate. legit now i need to rethink all my i know i felt that way about poems before um and where's orion yeah yeah she she was the first poet that i read um that I picked up and read for fun, like for my own edification. Um, up until this point, the only stuff that I read was the things that I had to read for class. Um, so like romantics and you know all these people that like I thought I had a kinship with the romantics, and then I started reading Mary Oliver and eventually got the haiku, and I was like, fuck the romantics. Yeah, romantics. God, so wordy, oh, so like ugh. so much drama. I'm just like shut up. Yeah, give me give me a poem like this. Please read it. So, Orion by Mary Oliver, who I think that I've, I've mentioned a couple times and I've probably maybe have read this on here, on this before. But anyway, I love Orion, his fiery body, his ten stars, his flaring points of reference, his shining dogs. It is winter, he says. We must eat, he says, our gloomy and passionate teacher. Miles below, 
in the cold woods, with the mouse and the owl, with the clearness of water sheeted and hidden, with the reason for the wind forever a secret, he descends and sits with me, his voice like the snapping of bone. Behind him, everything is so black and unclassical. Behind him, I don't know anything, not even my own mind. Mm. Yeah. If I had a microphone, I would drop it. Like, that's... So beautiful. Like, oh. She really is... She really is one of those, like you said earlier, like, core. Like, something just happened to me. Yeah. After reading this book. It's kind of like, um... What's his faces? Uh, Random Maria's... Random Maria Rilke's poem, like, the archaic torso of Apollo. Mm. When he's talking about in the final line is, like, I must must change my life. Or, like, you must change your life. Sort of, like... That's not in like a big grand scheme of things, but that's how I like my poems to leave me affected. There's this little moment or this little nag of something. It's like something you gotta you gotta do something about this. Yes. Yeah. Your poems do that. Oh, thank you. They really do. I appreciate that. I love it, and it, it's it's not that I read it fast, mm-hmm. but I do enjoy a book that I can pick up and put down in one sitting. Yeah. And just I can. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to read just real quick one poem? Sure. I want you. I want you to hear the. I just have to find it real quick. The um, I refuse to hate myself. Is that the title of the poem? No. And if I can't find it, I'll just send it to you later. It's just like I remember reading that, and now my my manifesto is. <laughs> I refuse. Yeah. I'm. I've wasted too much time thinking about how I look and like. Sorry, I'm about to get really personal. But, like, I've wasted a lot of my life, like, worrying about weight and, like, how flat my stomach is. Mm -hmm. And I read this and just, like, just personal, all kinds of personal things. I've just decided I'm not thinking about it. If I'm going to eat two donuts in one day, I'm not, I refuse to think about it anymore. Yeah. And to, like, worry. But it's just, like, so inundated for particularly females our whole lives. Oh, yeah. It's so much undoing and unlearning. And I love, it just means so much to me to find writers who talk about it. Because Mm -hmm. the most part it's not talked about. I feel like there's, while while you're looking, I will will extemporaneous a little bit. Please. Um, I feel like one of the major benefits of reading a whole lot, um, like both, I mean, Specifically, kind of like within your your wheelhouse, like if you're if you're a poet or if you're a fiction writer or nonfiction, in finding poets um, that either do similar things that you do or like a similar write in a similar voice, or same sense of like timing or space and openness or whatever, um, you you build up kind of a community and a family of other writers, and it's not so much. And this is something that I I got from the introduction to a collection or to um, I think uh, the Narrow Path to the Interior, which is a um, travel log high bun collection from Basho that he wrote like while he was traveling north um, in Japan. But he in in the introduction um, the oh crap the editor I think is maybe Sam Hamill could be wrong on that i'll i'll double check and mm-hmm. correct myself later if it's super important but anyway um in the introduction there's a uh, snippet of a letter that basho wrote to some of his disciples I, I think as he was out on this trip and he 
said, um, don't, don't follow in the master's footsteps. To, to the effect of don't follow in the master's footsteps. Seek what they sought. Which I feel like... It's perfect. Yeah, and I, I feel like... Um, so I, I had a little, like a little tirade that I wrote out about why I don't think that there's such a thing as bad poetry. Um, and one of the, the factors that I thought about in that was that um, the, the like mimicry of young poets, either young in life or young in their, their practice and their, their process, of um, like mimicking other writers. You know, it's like they're because Borrowing they're right. Yeah, because you know you're trying to find your voice and you find other writers and other poets that sound similar to you do. So you try to emulate what they do as a, in a sense to like like using them as kind of a mirror and to like refine your own voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that to me is like the difference between like following the masters and seeking what they sought. It's like if you follow in the footsteps of them, you're going to be doing what they do instead of. Like walking next to them, like Your trying, experience. yeah, like trying to, to get whatever they were going for. Like with Mary Oliver, for me, is a lot of um, like connection and observation of nature and using it as a um, like finding these moments in these kind of everyday things and like being present and aware for this this stuff. Um, so curious. Yeah, and it's like you know, I'm not I'm not going to write a poem about Orion and like emulating the way that she did it Mm -hmm. but I have like I've written a couple of haiku about him like you know just because that's one of the only constellations that I actually know Mm -hmm. um but for me it's you know it's like I'm I'm going to seek like if I'm if I'm going to follow what Basho said I will I would seek like Mary Oliver's sense of like curiosity and wonder and presentness Mm -hmm. and present that in a way that is my own in my own voice because I am present in a way that she's not because we're two different people right and it's like i think in a way that she doesn't think and i i have experiences that she has not had and i've like i observe things that she doesn't and well, she you look at orion through different eyeballs right yeah and you know because i'm not however old that she is and you know I'm, i grew up in a different time and i have a different a whole different set of associations mm-hmm. to everything that i've i've gone through um, but for me, there's still value in reading her, and I love reading her because it's a lot of like, um, like listening to musicians and like they do like they pull off a neat riff or they do like an interesting chord change. And I'm like, wh- like what are they? How are they doing this? Or like, what what's the thought process behind this? And then re- learning that, and like, oh, I can apply that to my own. You know, it's like, or like early, yeah, like learning to not learning to not view the thing view things how mary oliver views them but view them in a like open up my perspective to that it's like i could see this sideways or i could see this in a different facet mm-hmm. um but not to mary oliver or whoever for like letting me yeah right it's like it's they they open up things in you or they open up yeah they open up unlock. like which is i i for me it's a similar um usage of like people in workshop who give you comments on your poems or you know whatever you're writing, um, and you know like in revision the duty of determining whether these comments actually fit with the poem, or um, you know like are close enough to the heart of the poem that you can do whatever it is that they suggest or mm-hmm. think about whatever it is they think about, or if by thinking about like whatever it is that they have written, 
Like it just it gets you thinking about the poem in a different way, and you're like, yes. oh well, it's like, but this it's like this doesn't really work. But the reason that it doesn't work is because this poem is actually about this, which, if I'm gonna make it about this, I should change this line or tighten up this image or you know like get rid of this this stanza mm-hmm. to give it a more more of a coherence. So it's like. The their comments, it's like you don't follow the comment, but you use the comment as a way to get deeper into something, which is I think. For me, like all the poets that I have on the, that second shelf, are, I read them because it opens up different spaces inside of me that I have not yet explored or have only explored a little bit or that I need to re- revisit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, and it makes me feel larger and more connected so that it better enables my own voice to come out when I'm writing and stuff because I can, like, I have, I have a clearer vision of how to see stuff. Yeah. But, right. And it'll keep changing. Yeah. Okay, it's too long to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to read the first page. Okay. It's really long. Oh. <laughs> I'm just going to read the first okay. page. I am the king of my own life. The dried ups of worm bodies on the sidewalk freak me out. My dog licks them. My dog is the best thing in my life, better than food or sex or money. I accidentally eat my dog's tiny hairs every day, but I, feel, I never feel sad. Some women feel sad about their pubic hair. How can you feel sad about your pubic hair? Just wax that shit or get over it. Women should love themselves. Women should love their bodies. Women should be thin. Women should be curvy. Women should be pink. Women should be golden. Women should love themselves. It's much longer. You should get the book. So what's what's the title of that? This is Fat... Oh, I Am the King of My Own Life. Okay. Isn't that great? See if I can find it and pull it up in the description. Mm, mm-hmm. Was she saying woman singular? No, sorry, plural. Okay. I was gonna say that'd be a re- that was a really interesting choice if she did it yeah. singular. Woman. Yeah. yeah, that would be cool. Oh, borrow, <laughs> <laughs> borrow, borrow. <laughs> um, I think that's it. It's great. It's a good, good first episode of season two mm-hmm. um congratulations thank you thank you for thank you for coming over and talking that's honored and i had a great time <laughs> um yeah so this uh i guess this caps it um possibly one of my longest episodes yet Whoops. which i'm gonna say is no it's good because it's the premiere and premiere should be yeah, yeah. it's like double the episodes guys yeah um so I will hopefully be back in another two weeks um, with the first of my little solo talk things on um, probably Hyperlight Drifter. Um, it is a indie game um, developed uh, pretty st- well. One kind of main developer. I don't know. There's whatever. I'll, I'll read more about this. I don't want to. I don't want to spin more disinformation. But there's a, a guy like that. The head developer for it did a whole lot of work on it, and his story is really interesting. So I'll I'll do some research on that and put up some links or whatever. But um, it's an indie game. It's on Steam. Um, might be available for some other things. But if you want, you can check it out. Um, it's super fun. I have almost beaten it. I've almost I've been in this state of almost beating it for the last like four months. Ooh. 
Oh boy. Yeah. It's time. The last last buff boss is super tough. I also don't want to beat it because then it's over and I don't want to. Yeah, they got it on edge right now. I, I assume. But if I do beat it, then so one of the perks that um, if you pre-ordered it, you got or like one of the rewards tiers, you could get like a new character but you can't access that character until you've beaten it once mm. so i'm like well i really want to fucking beat it to see what this other character does but i also i don't want to beat it because it means it's over and i also don't know if i can beat it because it's super fucking tough <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so that that will probably be the first little of my solo talks um because i've been i've been meaning to write or talk about it for a while and i don't want to write about it when i can just talk about it mm. um so stay tuned for that, um, like, third week of September. Um, yeah, next week I'll be out of town, um, which is why nothing's happening then. But, yeah, so this is season. Or this is episode one. Um, it's nice to start over with the numerals. Um, thank you all for sticking around for, like, two and three quarters of an hour. <laughs> if you're still here, you want gems. Yeah. You're my BFFs. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they are. Dedication. Hopefully all of my uh, French listeners who skyrocketed the last plays um, will come back. I miss y'all. I don't know if it's a y'all or just a singular you, but whoever it is, thank you for listening. Yeah, yeah, so this is episode one. Um, Thank you all for listening. And and, Oh, wait, no. I've I've gotten to the habit of my guests coming up with a sign-off. Oh. So. I've always wanted to talk very sultry into a microphone. This has been Mary Adele with Michael Zuloff on So Poetry. Thank you.